Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all a million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we driving, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels, I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming scheme, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, that way I could hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better I wish I spoke fluent Spanish Dímelo, dímelo At least I kinda understand it <laughs> Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit And get so large I could play pool with the planets yeah. I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself Can't help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish And every time we love it It feels just like this I wish, I wish, and every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, and every time we move it, it feels just like, like this. It feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something. I got everybody wild and also come and make assumptions. Make like a loop. Who the fuck are you? I'm gonna try to keep this right. It's nice to have a loop. Don't go stupid. And welcome to episode 60. Can you believe it? 60 of the debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I'm here to talk about this week's premium episode, which was an interview with Representative Ro Khanna. The California representative is one of the few that was willing to come on progressive media, like it or hate it. I'm sure I'll hear an earful from you tonight. But we covered a number of subjects. We spent the bulk of the interview talking about his op-ed, his recent op-ed in the New York Times advocating for a more forceful, bigger approach to the inflation crisis, something that he's been criticized for, something that we've talked about in the previous episode with Cory Doctorow as we went through the right-wing criticisms of Roe Khanna's plan and vetted them. Roe seemed to accept some of those criticisms and said, hey, look, we need to go big or go home. The American people, first and foremost, want to feel like the the Democratic Congress and president are doing something. And I found that to be difficult to argue with. To listen to that part of the interview, you can go to patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast and listen or watch the full interview. But we also released a 20 minute or so clip where I went through a number of other subjects that are important to the left specifically, not just the country as a whole. And those subjects included um, the exchange that Abby Martin uh, had with Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, at the uh, Conference of the Americas last week, in which she challenged him on some hypocrisy relating to the murder of Shireen Abu Akla and um, Jamal Khashoggi and the friendliness toward uh, Israel and um, 
Saudi Arabia respectively, while other countries were not um, invited to the conference. Additionally, I asked him about his endorsement of Nobiki Konst over the DSA-endorsed candidate in their New York State Senate race, specifically how he parses the difference between his choice to kind of stay out of Nina Turner's race and not stand up to the Congressive Caucus's endorsement of her opponent, Chantel Brown, while at the same time he chose to stick his toe into a race, which by his own admission, he did not know a ton about and wasn't super familiar with. Um, I'm going to, of course, immediately start taking your questions and we can talk about this interview, anything else that's on your mind. But first, I am going to play a clip from the episode and then we will be off to the races. Here is a clip uh, about the Nomiki endorsement. And so when you see a progressive have a campaign with legs on it, like we do here in in New York, and there is a solidified progressive um, base behind her, one has to beg the question, do you think it's useful for additional progressives to hop in the race and divide what is already a marginal vote in many parts of the country? I was proud to support uh, Lee Summers. I'm very proud and endorsed her, supported her, uh, proud to have supported uh, uh, Erica Smith, who didn't quite make it in, in North Carolina, and, and other progressives across the country. When Senator Turner, I supported her the first time. I stayed out of it the second time, which I talked to her. Uh, I thought it was a mistake for uh, the caucus to get involved in that race and had made that clear, and I personally uh, did not. Uh, I, it's hard against an incumbent, but you can certainly stay out. Uh, and in this case, you know, I wouldn't have gotten involved if it weren't for another strong progressive. I you know, Mika thought it's a new district. She thought her experience uh, benefits that. I, I don't think you can say uh, there's only one progressive, right? I mean, even in a presidential election, there are maybe two or three progressives. I think the key is, though, how can you coordinate so that we don't have a situation where the progressives start attacking each other and someone else emerges? And that, I think, is what the progressive movement has to figure out is we, how do we create space when there are multiple progressives uh, all offering good perspectives for that not to lead to a, a centrist establishment candidate winning. So Representative Khanna, in the case of Senator Turner, I would argue that Chantel Brown wasn't even a progressive. And yet you sat that one out for the sake ostensibly of the progressive caucuses endorsed quote unquote progressive candidate. But in this instance, when there is a genuine progressive at play, you're choosing to weigh in. Do you see how there, there are some who might say the friendship with Senator Turner, the fact that she's given so much and worked so hard for Bernie Sanders, the decision-making, if anything, should have been to come out against the Progressive Caucus in the, in the Ohio 11th race and to sit out this New York State Senate race. All right. Hit me with it. Let's look at the queue. We have, um, let's see, Andrew, what's on your mind? Hey, um, you know, lots of stuff. Um, I think the conversation you had with Corey and some of the questions that you asked Roe were, uh, pretty excellent. I think I, I find myself in a similar place as you where I'm not, really heavily in one camp or the other when it comes to, um, you know, all 
you know, state solutions or all decentralized solutions. But with with the case of of energy, I, I, I do see other countries with um, with nationalized or at least partly nationalized industries, whether it be oil and gas or other um, energy sources doing pretty well. So about a week ago, I calculated the price of gas in Russia, which I don't think is super comparable because of how much gas they produce, uh, but it's about 270 a gallon. Um, and in Mexico, the price of gas for about a year or so has been just under or just over $4 a gallon, depending on the station you go to. Um, and I think Mexico is an interesting example because with the price of oil of crude per barrel right now, um, if you're not charged, if you're, if you're charging what, what they're charging at the pump in Mexico, you're basically not making a profit. Um, if you're buying on today's oil futures. So I'm assuming this, this oil is from a previous crop. Um, but anyways, the point stands that they are tank, they're taking the, they're eating the loss with the nationalized, um, gas company so that consumers aren't paying that. And they're also simultaneously making moves to build like high speed electric rail all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, I think that it's, it's kind of showing the model of the green new deal to be at least functional. It seems to be moving in the right direction, you know, based on what people have projected would, what, what it should look like if a state is kind of taking seriously energy concerns or a transition. Yeah. I have heard people say that part of why, even though European gas prices are quite high, they're able to weather the storm better is because they don't rely as heavily on cars as we do because they have better infrastructure. I'm looking also in this March 13th article says that um, we surpassed Russia as the number one oil producer. Uh, this is from March 15th. And, you know, it's interesting to note. You know, you said that, you know, we obviously have a bigger population than Russia, I think, by, a, I don't know by how much, but by a little bit. So I don't know about per capita oil production, but it, it is, this is Rose Point, right, that we should be exporting less and to the extent that we have oil that we can't refine, we should be doing swapperoos instead of just selling it on the open market. And it, I, I don't have a strong case to make against that, especially when you look at what's going on in other countries that have kind of a similar amount of oil on hand and much lower prices, so... I appreciate you calling in. Oh, looks like he already um, nexted himself. So I'll take New Lucas. You're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening. Uh, hey, Bree. Um, there's a whole lot on my mind. Uh, that, the Rokan interview was, was super interesting. I don't think I watched but a clip of the last time you talked to him, so I'm not sure um, you know, how much you were able to grill him. But thanks for grilling him because, I don't know, I'm kind of losing faith. Like my girlfriend is, um, I wouldn't say she's definitely not anarchist, but does not have as much much faith in this system as I have. Mm -hmm. And if is like the best we got, he's over here talking about, I signed a strongly worded letter with 60 of my colleagues. Like that, that's, that's not, that's not going to get it done, you know? Um, yeah. So I guess like, like what, what is your, what is your case for, for like, not, 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 not trying to hold you to the fire or anything like that um but you know what is there to have faith about when it comes to electoralism and uh you know like if if we're not going to be turning out every single politician being anita turner um you know how do we 
how do we get things done if if letters and strong words and uh you know the like are are, are what we have um going into battle with like i just don't i just don't really understand it i mean i think it can be true that ro Khanna championing the yemen war powers resolution and all of this stuff can matter and that having someone who is you know lobbying for responses to the energy crisis that are bolder than biden's even if we think they're insufficient is probably a net good someone who's willing to come on a show and at least go on the record about his approach and be open to being grilled about it even if he doesn't change his mind but to the extent that it exposes the inefficiencies of the current system i think that's better than someone who doesn't do that but at the same time, I think it's right to be clear-eyed about what this does and doesn't mean and what someone like Ro Khanna can and cannot achieve or is or is not willing to fight for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just – I remember um, back when uh, AOC was, you know, um, pretty new and uh, people had, you know, a lot of hopes for for uh, what she could do in Congress. Um, and she was talking about Ro Khanna and she, she lamented that he was he was one of the good ones. And I've just been thinking about that like now. Like he is, he is. He's probably, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, wouldn't know where to put him, but probably top fifteen politician in the country, I'll guess. And like that's still not, it's still, it's still not enough. Um, it was interesting hearing him talk about, um, you know, what he would push for uh, in, in Biden's position as far as getting, uh, you know, inflation down or at least gas inflation down. Um, so it was, it was interesting to hear for the first time, like kind of. A number associated with it because i'm like damn it's gas is six dollars out here in chicago and i'm yeah. like man like any like anything would be anything would be would be nice uh you know lower that um but but yeah i don't know it's just it's just it's just been kind of disheartening lately i guess that's just with everything in the news too it's been it's been kind of hard to uh to keep the faith but um Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I did watch, you know, I did catch some clips from the Bernie-Lindsey Graham debate, and it did feel weirdly buoying just to see somebody making the strong case for all the better, all the ways the world could be better. And it made me wonder whether or not we should be, Democrats should be calling, excuse me, for some kind of one-on-one debate over how to address the energy, you know, the oil oil prices and inflation, generally speaking, because I do think that Republicans are getting away with being able to shoot down every Democratic proposal, including all kinds of you know, gas holidays and stuff, because yeah. they're not really challenged to offer anything on the alternative. And the debate format, for all of its failings, and as much as the debate be broke culture on the Internet can be frustrating, it does expose the gaps between what people are affirmatively offering in a way that I think is really helpful to a party that is, at least in this context, willing to do marginally more than conservatives. And to the extent that someone like Bernie or even a Rokana would participate in that debate, it, it would be nice to hear. Now, my frustration with all of this is that there is so much unwillingness from both Corey and Roe to even have a conversation about nationalization. And I thought that colloquy about FDR was interesting for that reason, because, you know, a lot of people will evoke the idea of needing an FDR level, you know, of ramping up 
of production or whatever it is, whether we're talking about baby food or Green New Deal, and we're going to do an FDR, we're going to do an FDR. But no one's ever willing to come through with a level of credible threat that FDR had. Like, I'm going to pack the Supreme Court. I'm going to nationalize in- industry. If you're not even willing to make a threat like that, and I'm not saying you should advertise it as empty, you should be willing to follow through on it. But to not even be willing to have that conversation, it's like, well, what makes you think you're ever going to get anyone to agree to it? FDR scale um, ramping up when we can't even get Congress to come together on like basic gun reform after a bunch of kids were massacred. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the, uh, I guess the, the policies or at least the policy leaning kind of um, comes from people that are, I guess, nicer really for lack of a better word, honestly. And they don't have like that, like hardball way of playing politics, which you need to get shit done, especially when you have just such an obstructionist. Uh, I mean, even even obstructionist Democratic Party in a lot of cases, you know, with Joe Manchin and and Kirsten Sinema. There's a lot you could do with that, you know. But um, yeah, but Bernie yeah. It should not be forgotten that Bernie is in the exact same place to hold up legislation as those two, and it is you know frustrating they're not hearing that. You also raised, you brought up AOC uh, in the kind of what people's hopes were for her. I'm seeing as we're talking this clip that was just posted like 20 minutes ago by the Hill uh, on her endorsing Biden for 2024. You guys want to hear this? I haven't heard it yet either. Let's check that out. People are bad though. Okay, here we go. You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024. Oops, sorry. Let me turn that up a little bit. You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now. Uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, but I think if if the president has a vision, and that's something certainly we're all willing to entertain and examine when the when the time comes. That's actually wild to so. sell. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we should endorse when we get to it. But I, I, I believe that the president has been doing a very good job uh, so far. And, um, you know, should he run again? I think that I, you know, I think it's it's, We'll take a look at it. <laughs> but right now we need to focus on winning a majority instead of a presidential election. All right. I don't know why the questioner's voice was not in there in this clip. But, he's, you know, she said, I believe that the president has been doing a very good job so far. And should he run again, I think we'll take a look at it. So, I mean, that does feel like a far cry from the AOC who said that we shouldn't be even be in the same party. I understand that she is in the party now and, you know, it would create perhaps some consternation among the ranks if in this contentious time she decides to take a shot at Biden. But I said it before and I'll say it again. It does feel like the energy on the right is comes from the fact in part that they are willing to criticize each other and it lends some credibility and gives energy within the party in a way that just doesn't exist on the democratic side where everyone has to be in such lockstep that they all come across as phonies because it's just not – we can see the tension among the party, but no one's even willing to acknowledge it. Even when it comes to like mansion and cinema, they will hardly acknowledge it. They're out here supporting folks like Henry Cuellar, who's voting against the gun reform package um, and, you know, abort, codifying abortion at the same time. Those are the supposed to be the number one issues for the Democratic Party. And it's just it is dispiriting. But, Lucas, you know, I think we can. We can together keep the faith because as we talked about in other episodes, there's all these other good things going on outside of the electoral context. It's just going to be a bleak few months as we talk about midterms. (laughs) 
<laughs> but thank yep. you for calling in, Lucas. Yep, thanks. Shout out to your anarchist girlfriend. All right, Nick, <laughs> you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Also, by the way, while you guys are on the queue, let me know, did anybody listen to any of the 1-6 hearings? And if so, I'd love to know what you thought of them. But hit me, Nick. Hey, uh, so I thought that there might be one good thing about uh, Nomiki Kant running for public <laughs> office again, uh-huh. which is if Nomiki has one clear weakness, it's uh, con- prolonged ex- public exposure to Nomiki Kant. Stop. Okay, I want you to hit me with your question, but I have to get it for one second because I just spilled a glass of water myself. One second. I'm so sorry. Sure. Here, I- actually, I'm going to just play another clip while I resolve this mess I just made. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, uh, here's, here's a, here you go. It is outrageous, outrageous in my view for us to be sitting down with MBS, uh, without holding him accountable, uh, for the Khashoggi murder. It is outrageous, uh, for us to be asking the Saudis for real before they stop the war. I mean, these are lives at stake. Uh, on the, uh, the, the, the killing of the American journalist who is, a. uh, Palestinian uh, origin, uh, I uh, signed on to a letter that was very strong that uh, Representative Carson uh, introduced, and I've been criticized uh, by some from that, saying that uh, it has to be an American investigation. It has to be an investigation led by uh, our FBI, our State Department. Uh, we, it's an American citizen that's involved. Uh, that killing was horrific. Uh, th- that violence was totally unacceptable. And uh, to have an objective investigation, uh, it should be an American uh, investigation. And there are about 60 of us who signed that letter uh, to significant uh, uh, criticism from, you know, some channels. And, and, and I think that's right uh, to do. Lincoln seemed to insist that the facts were not in yet and that perhaps some of the, um, the diplomatic pivot that Abby seemed to be recommending in terms of distancing our relationship with Israel might be justified once the quote unquote facts were in about who was responsible for the killing. And Abby's perspective was that the facts are in and that basically this is um, kind of an attempt to whitewash the incident and say, and basically use uh, skepticism the same way that has happened so many times with climate or the cigarette industry or whatever, saying we don't know everything yet as a way to create distance between the event, which many people found to be shocking, including the events at her funeral where pallbearers were being attacked, et cetera, to let that slip into the, the, the annals of history without America being held responsible for its, quote unquote, special relationship with, quote unquote, democracies in the region like Israel. Do you think that Abby is right to say that we know enough for there to be diplomatic implications uh, for uh, Shireen's murder? Well, Shreve's murder was appalling, uh, and so was the interference uh, and violence at her funeral with the pallbearers. And I spoke out at that uh, about that uh, immediately and forcefully at the time. I've signed the letter calling for an independent investigation. I do think Secretary Blinken is right that we need to have the investigation take place and, and the facts come out. I mean, uh, to see who exactly was responsible and whether there was accountability for the person who was responsible. Now, I don't think that we can just allow Israel to conduct that investigation for the reasons that you've said, because there is not a confidence on the Palestinian side that that would be uh, objective. And that's why I've called for an American investigation. And then based on that, uh, we need to take uh, appropriate action. 
All right, Nick. Sorry. Uh, new shorts, dry chair. I'm ready. You're totally fine. <laughs> um, and I haven't watched the video yet, so I can only assume that throughout that portion of it, Rokana was like hypnotically swinging a pendulum back and forth in front of you as he was saying all that. <laughs> Nick, look, I, I do recommend that people watch it. That whole second half is on YouTube. I also thought that, you know, the exchange about uh, oil prices was also, you know, meaningful and important and that you can watch the whole thing obviously at patreon.com but i don't oh, know i agree roe is the king of like not sticking landings uh but uh so so anyways uh should i launch into my thing or please do okay great uh so i had two things that i wanted to bring up but first uh I just wanted to say, this was probably, like, a thousand microaggressions with, like, uh, tactless white guys ago, but, like, a, a couple months ago, I called in, I got a thorough chewing out, I was actually so uh, incensed by it and butthurt that I, I pulled my Patreon donation and sent, like, an angry message. I feel really bad about it, but, you know, like, in the intervening weeks, you know, to, to quote Brokeback Mountain, uh, I wish I could quit you. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, Nick, don't, I'm, don't, don't worry about it. It's all forgotten. But, but <laughs> I get it. Like right. I had to be the hundredth guy that week that came off as the guy that was like desperate to interrupt or talk over you. And I just happened to get like the cumulative, like Kamehameha blast in my face over it. Like, I don't blame you. I'm sure it was a hard week. I'm really, really sorry. But, uh, so, uh, to get into my two things, um, I've been trying to call since the Matt Stoller episode because I've been trying to make this point ever since it. And, uh, I think it was the thing he said that, like, completely gave the game away about his uh, China critique, the idea that, like, the Chinese manufacturing of solar panels is, like, extra dirty and uh, terribly, uh, you know, uh, not at all thoughtful industry when I'm, like, uh, all solar panels are made with coal and quartz and it's all, like, horrific industry Mm -hmm. with tons of mining and extraction and energy to make that. So to, like pitch the Chinese version of that as, like, uh, innately evil, whereas if America did the manufacturing of it, I would think that they would do it with, like, far less even oversight or regulation. Uh, and the reason why I missed that was because I was seeing Jimmy Dore live uh, comedy set, which I don't know if you've got any questions about what goes down at one of those. How was it? It was amazing. I had such a good time. And uh, an incredibly diverse crowd, like way more uh, diverse and older people than you would expect at that. It was at the uh, Improv in Kansas City, but uh, I had a great time. Oh, that's cool. That's nice to hear. What, how, what's the ratio of like political jokes and people in the crowd who seem kind of online and who know his show from online and people who know him from just the comedy world? It's actually, I think it's kind of a grab bag of political and just kind of uh, observed ordinary life, which is probably why he's got such a overarching appeal in just the comedy world in general. Like, lots of stories about just, like, awkward doctor visits or, like, trying to get out of jury duty. So, like, as much as it is, like, honestly, it's really interesting because most of his actually directly, like, really incendiary political content is kind of all in the videos. And the comedy set itself is is kind of just a supplement to that. Like, it doesn't really rely on the same things. It just kind of takes his granted that the people showing up there kind of get the gist and he can kind of build premises and jokes off that that are kind of original and unique and really satisfying. Well, that's what it takes. I always tell this to Katie Helper. I think having the talent of being funny, being a comedian, is something that is undervalued in this left media space because it does, you know, get people in the door and makes you accessible. And I think Michael Brooks understood that and 
You know, I appreciate that about Jimmy. But um, what's on your what's on your mind specifically about uh, what's going on in the world or this episode or what have you? Well, um, uh, the other thing that I was going to bring up, and you could move on to the next caller after that, because, well, okay, uh, I'll make it two things. One is a completely shallow show recommendation. Have you watched, watched Woke on Hulu yet? I think I watched, I definitely watched season one, I think most of season two, if not all of it. What'd you think of it? Because I thought it was, uh, I, I don't know, kind of refreshing in a world that doesn't tackle current political thought on any deep level. Um, well, I'll say that I really like the lead from New Girl, and I really like Shahir Zamata, who has been on Bad Faith Podcast talking about Star Trek, um, and who is also really good friends with Nicole Bayer, Bayer, and has a podcast with her that I also enjoy. This season one didn't quite land for me, I confess. I think it it's part of the part of the issue is the evolving definition of woke, and it seemed like the show hadn't quite figured out what they were making fun of um, in the protagonist, Keith's character seemed kind of, um, yeah, it was like he was kind of an upper middle class black guy. For those who haven't watched, it's a upper kind of a middle class black cartoonist. He's struggling, but, you know, uh, educated and, you know, thrown into a, a, a tier, you know, a bourgeois tier for that reason. And he does a kind of innocuous cartoon called Toast and Butter or something. Uh, and then he gets becomes a victim of police violence, and it radicalizes him. And he decides he wants to become a political comic, and it affects his career in like both positive and negative ways. And he's on this journey from becoming kind of just like a, a woke in the bad way kind of guy, just kind of performatively woke, to someone who is actually trying to live up to his values. And I think that journey becomes a, a lot sharper in season two. And I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a good yeah. summary. I'm I'm a comics and illustration dork, so maybe it just hit me extra hard. But mm-hmm. um, the other thing that I was going to say is uh, I really wanted to talk after the Michaela Wilkes podcast because uh, e- even that melted this uh, bitter old Iceman's heart, and I did donate 27 bucks to her. Mm-hmm. And also, you're calling after it just kind of making the case for why we should still kind of support Shahid Buttar and Rebecca Parsons. I was like, oh, you sold me. I sent the money that day too. <laughs> Even though I'm, I'm Mr. Like I hate the democratic party with every fiber of my being. I was like, you know, you, for whatever reason you warmed my heart that day. And I'm like, yeah, Shahid Buttar would be better than Nancy Pelosi. But um, the reason why I bring this up is because uh, I remember something that was incredibly frustrating from the Bernie campaign that I think is something that people could take advantage of and also could be maybe a way back into not even necessarily electoralism, but volunteering for candidates that you like on a more kind of substantive level. Mm-hmm. Because um, I don't know if you remember this. Oh, I mean, I'm sure you do, but like the, the Bernie app. And the thing about that is, is I understood everything about that, but I felt like overwhelmingly the online interpretation of it or people that it was at in volunteer meetings or even people that ran uh, Bernie volunteer events didn't quite understand how to use it. And the way that I saw it that I thought was brilliant uh, is that it's a way to actually talk to random people on the street or your friends, ask them a series of questions, look up their voter registration specifics and Mm -hmm. record that info and send it to the campaign. And the crucial reason why I thought this was so valuable is that it's making conversation with people out in the world and it's not reliant on the Democratic Party-centric NGP van system. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I bring this up is because... 
if they're, uh, and I feel like no Democratic candidates or progressives have really brought this up, but I feel like that that's kind of a much needed way to kind of revitalize even the volunteering idea for these candidates, which is, I, I think the thing personally that I, I really bump up against this, this idea that I've got to kind of convince like diehard Democrats at this point, whereas if I'm encouraged to actually talk to people that I encounter in the real world with a set of general questions and very clear directions of what they can do for their voter registration and uh, ultimately voting, then I feel like that that's a far more appealing way to kind of get back into the spirit of that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that the burn app is no longer functioning. I, I remember- correct. Yeah, something my phone prompted me to delete it or something like that recently, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this." But the point is, I'm, I'm sure you can uh, create some sort of vigilante network with former Bernie people that maybe have that as a uh, IP that you can steal or democratize. Yeah, that's an interesting question. It might be worth having. Uh, I think it was Claire Sandberg who was in charge of that on the campaign to talk about it. If it is something that's available, or that something would be willing to basically steal and make public it it does seem silly to break it down again it has the whiff of obama breaking down his organizing network after he won in 2008 um but you know i think that you're right peer-to-peer organizing would be useful i do think you're also right that people weren't entirely sure how to use it i remember checking to see you know, who in my context wasn't registered and finding out that my brother wasn't registered and harassing him. But I don't know that I used it, you know, much beyond that. Because what I encountered was if I looked through the people in my contacts, you know, they weren't registered. That still was a, you know, most of them, you know, it was going to be a lift. It was like people that I knew were probably not Bernie people. And it wasn't like me just kind of poking them to reg- you know, it was a bigger conversation than the, the, the text, the performant text that they wanted me to send out. And I feel like it would have had more utility in like a general election when they were going to fall online and vote for the primary winner regardless. I mean, but I used I, it I, to annoy every person in a restaurant line or like uh, like just any sort of social ev- event or just even like walking my dog on the street. I would, you know, have you heard the good word about Bernie Sanders or, or You know, Adam? what's funny is this is my opinion, but let me know how you guys all feel to me, the barrier to talking to people isn't like giving them direct instructions or feeling like I need them to be able to have an app to check their registration or anything like that. It's that I almost don't feel entitled to approach people and give them a piece of my mind about my politics outside the context of a broader organization that I can say that I'm advocating for. Cause it feels almost invasive. I'm obviously not saying that's right. Obviously I push the Bernie app and we should all be doing things like that, but I'm just trying to get to the, to be honest about my own personal psychology to the extent that it might be relatable to other people. I mean, I got over it right away, but I'm, I'm a very naturally gregarious person. So it's very easy for me, but I did sense that apprehension in every organizing meeting that I was ever in. And I did go out of my way to like really drill it into people's heads, how to use it and be comfortable talking to other people. But my overall impression is that everyone was kind of afraid to use it the way that they were supposed to. Yeah, I was at a dog park today and or yesterday and having a lovely chat with all of the other people at the dog park. And they seemed, you know, liberal, progressive types of people who are, you know, college professors and other folks. Um, I found out later that one of the guys like worked for the Real News. And 
at some point, Russia came up in the context of one of the women saying that, you know, she was like, cool. I don't mean this as a critique, criticism at all, but she was saying how terrible it was that Russia was basically going to cause a famine because of their, you know, the war's effect on Ukraine's oil, uh, wheat, taking out the grain basket of Europe. And the framing of it was, you know, Russia is starving Africa. Whereas my framing of it is the West wants Africa to starve so that it's beholden to Western sanctions, which have nothing to do with Africa. You know? Yeah, but if you analyze it critically, then it's America's fault, Bray, and that can't be... That can't be right, the but, but the but the point I'm the point I'm making is that like I was willing on some level, you know, to have that conversation in the context of the lovely social event we were having, and it was like I was there with a guy I'm dating and his like this, these are his people that I'm about to start a ruckus with. It didn't feel appropriate for me after this lovely conversation we had been having about Star Trek and whatever, for me to be like actually. Actually, it's it's America that's going to end up starving Africa. It's not fair to blame it on Russia because that's just such a bigger conversation that it felt like was appropriate for the moment. And you should definitely do a big anti though and make your uh, the guy you're dating choose you over his friends like right away. Well, I mean, again, they weren't his friends; they were just people at the dog part. But I'm just I'm really just trying to be sensitive to the reality of I think the position that many people find themselves in. And I'm my point that I'm making is that if even I, someone who really has no hesitation having difficult conversations feels apprehensive in those kinds of moments to making, you know, a political stand that I completely understand that the barrier to entry for other people might not really be whether or not they have the burn app, but these other kind of social factors and feeling like, is this the time and the place? And I'm I the right avatar to be kind of quote unquote, pushing my politics on other people. I will also say the earlier in that day, or maybe it was the day before I was wearing um, one of his sweatshirts that had a uh, Cyrillic writing on it because uh, he studied Russian literature. <laughs> and um, did you get like red paint thrown on you? I, I don't like where this story's going. I, yeah, I mean, I was I was in Walgreens, and the woman behind the counter was like, "Oh, that looks like Russian," and I was like, "Yep," <laughs> and she was like. Oh, uh, what does that say? You know, that's kind of, you know, given current events. And I was like, you know? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, okay. She said, like, well, what does it say? I was like, I don't know. It's his sweatshirt. And I asked him and he like translated it. And it's like a bit of a poem or something. Would it have and, made you feel way better if it was some rando being like, Dos Vidania, Conrad? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's like pleasant. Not this person judging me for a shirt that I, you know, threw on because it's you know, chilly or whatever. And, um... I remember in that moment, I was kind of almost shocked by how much I didn't want to get into it with her, like how weirdly like targeted I felt in the Walgreens line and how unprepared I was to have it out with this random person. Because it just, again, felt like such a huge conversation. And I'm in line and there's people behind me and, you know, he was queuing up, you know, and, and, and again, that's just all to say, like, I find myself surprised sometimes how even I, in certain contexts don't want to go there and that's all again just to say i don't know how much it is oh we need the burn app to feel empowered to have these difficult conversations and how much there is this weird like social pressure to talk about the weather and things nice especially outside of the context of a campaign season or outside of a particular candidate you're advocating for or outside of a polling station or some other kind of explicitly political context but um 
Maybe, but I think there is something to be said for bringing some of your Twitter fire to, like, the Walgreens checkout line. May not be the worst idea at times. You may be a bit more pleasantly surprised than you realize. Right. Well, Nick, I'm trying to talk about the emotional response that I'm having, you know, and saying that that's a legitimate emotional response and that if I'm feeling that, I'm sure other people will feel it even more strongly. But I appreciate you calling in, Nick. Let's hear what Grace uh, has to say, uh, generally speaking, about what's going on in the world, about this conversation or anything else that you might have intended to call in with initially. Hey, Bree. Hey, Grace. Um, I, uh, I feel you on that, just on that last topic about... I feel like, yeah, I feel like I am, I am trying to learn how to be like quieter in social settings about political things because I feel like, you know, I'm worried I'm just stressing people out sometimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not trying to do that. Um, I mean, I definitely believe in like building relationships before like trying to cross into those areas too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, do, I don't feel like I'm, we're not going to have an epiphany with a woman at the Walgreens line. Maybe the dog park lady. There was more space. She was, we had rapport, you know. There were cute dogs. There were cute dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but Walgreens lady seems a little bit like a lost cause. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, and I, um, I also don't, I did not watch the uh, 1-6 hearings, but mm-hmm. I... But my mom did call me the other day and say, my, she said, I'm embarrassed to ask this, but my friends are all texting me that the trial is starting and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so some people were watching it. Like, how would you describe your mom's friends kind of like demographically, socially? Who are they? Uh, like uh, 55 to 70 year old liberal white women. Okay. And geographically? In, uh, in the South. And yeah, I'm in North okay. Carolina. Okay. So, but, I mean, like people, do we know anything about the demographic da- data? Like how many people tuned in Nielsen or whatever? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they do that, but yeah, well, I mean, cause I guess, I guess I'm sure a lot of people watch it online and stuff. And I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I saw kind of saw the view talk about it maybe once, but I haven't been, um, I mean, CNN I says, uh, Watched by more than 20 million people. I don't know if that's a lot or a little. It kind of sounds like a lot. Maybe it's like what's been going on on 24-hour news or something, you know, that we I just don't have cable. Maybe it's like mm-hmm. more for the cable watchers. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, but, but, yeah, I actually, I was calling in thinking, well, one, I really want to suggest, and I know that other, somebody else actually who called into your show brought up Matthew Ho who's running for Senate in North Carolina um, and the Green Party, he he managed to get on the ballot, mm. which is a huge <laughs> hurdle. I think he got, had to get like 14,000 signatures, but he got 22,000 oh. wow. um, physical signatures. I, I signed for it because I heard him speak at, um, I, on Earth Day, I went to this Reject Raytheon protest because mm. they're building this giant, facility on um like the Biltmore Estates land here um those those damn Vanderbilts are still screwing us over all these um years later but um they sold yeah so he he was talking about that he's a veteran um and I just think you know when we're talking about third party candidates who are making it I think he would make an awesome guess and he actually then he I brought him up in like a local news article and he actually like friend requested me on Facebook and reached out to me which I thought was really cool um, and he okay. said he listens to your show every week. He loves your show. 
Okay, I'm looking for him. For some reason, I'm having it's a hard H-O-H. time. It's H-O-H. Okay. I think I already followed him on Twitter, but you know, I still have this bug that I talked about like a, over a year ago that has me default to Yahoo if it reboots my computer. And it's, you know, Yahoo search is like intentionally giving me the worst answers for everything. Oh, okay, here he is. Yeah, I'm already following him. Okay, I'm going to DM him right now and ask him to come on the podcast. But Hell I don't want to yeah. hear any of your guys' bullshit malarkey complaining all fucking day and night that you do every time I do a Canada interview. Okay? Like, but I don't want to hear it. third party. I don't want to hear it. It doesn't matter. You guys well, still complain right, about everything. But I'm going to do it. But I want you to all direct your <laughs> ire at Grace. Okay? Wow. Wow. Way <laughs> to throw me under the bus. <laughs> oh. But, um, but yeah, so that was on my mind. And then just like, I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like to build resilience. I know this is like kind of a broad topic, but I don't know how you've been feeling lately, but I, yeah, I mean, I, some days I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't anymore. And then other days I'll get a burst of energy, but things are seeming like really bleak, uh, on a number of fronts. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming like Roe is going to fall any day. Probably on my dad's birthday, yeah, which, which is going to be awkward because I'm going to be with him and he's for, he's against it. I don't want to fight my father mm. on his birthday, mm. but <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, and I've been and I've been trying, you know, I've been finding myself in the organizing space too. But like one of the things that I'm realizing is that like it's being held down by small groups of people who are like at capacity you know and yeah. i'm like how can we make this fun um i mean i think it kind of goes to that app thing too i did see this badass band last week named destroy boys that is connecting in with they're like a punk group and they're connecting in with uh local mutual aid or like a local abortion fund and platforming them at every one of their shows huh. um which i thought was a really creative way and like the lead singer just came up with it themselves um huh yeah, that's so funny that you mentioned that because on Friday I went to this – again, I'm sorry. You can get a real sense of the kind of guy that I've been seeing, LOL. We went to this um, Baltimore act. His name is Dan Deacon, and it was very clear from the patter during the concert that he is a leftist. <laughs> there were <laughs> – discussions about how like don't mosh too hard in the pit because you know don't we don't have universal health care and like all this stuff the water cooler at the bar said turf tears on it it was like a whole <laughs> it was a very lefty vibe uh in there um and I, I found myself thinking during the concert like everyone was clearly on board with the politics of it all too and like what if there were you know we were, i was leaving and there was someone tabling with like t-shirts or whatever I was like, why, you know, if I were a politician looking to get signatures or looking to get votes or looking to register people, like here's a whole room of people who are very clearly ideologically aligned and who are in a demographic group that is probably not as registered because it's skewing younger. And, you know, like, should this be the approach? Like, is this the equivalent of our gun show where we should be (laughs) recruiting people? Because it really felt strongly to me that this is a whole room full of people who are in a great mood and very left and had time to spare and like wanted to do like communal things. Like they, he made everyone like hold hands and like make a tunnel and everybody ran. Like there were all of these group activities that made it feel like real crowd bonding work. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think we need that too, because like, you know, what can we do if we're not, you know, I mean, 
yeah, we got to build community together before we can do anything else. And I love, I've actually been bouncing that idea around. Um, there's a local musician at my house now uh, who's playing with my husband. And that's what we were talking about. Like I was thinking about creating some kind of a kit where it would be, because we have a ton of music in Asheville and I, mm. you know, and just like what, like choose your own adventure. Are you willing to let someone table your show? Are you willing to let mm. someone speak on stage at your show? Do you want to say something, you know, like, because I'm pretty sure that they would participate too. It, um, and, you know, this band just added a dollar on top of their ticket price and a dollar went to the mutual aid group. Mm. Um, and we made like almost a thousand dollars and, and we were got to like stand up on stage and, you know, I was talking about this, um, you know, constitutional violation where they're trying to come after these people for felony littering charges for protesting. Mm. And, you know, and everyone's like, you know, screaming, fuck the police. <laughs> like it was really beautiful. Like, and it was a very young crowd too. Like they were, mm. there were, for, it was an all ages show. So there were for sure, like probably 14 and 15 year olds there. And I saw the looks <laughs> on the parents' faces who were like, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was badass. And they talked about consent with moshing. Like, I, I do think it is a, that's so funny that you had like a very similar experience this past Yeah, week yeah there was definitely a consent conversation. I mean, it, it was, it's hard to like, I should have kept a list of all the things. So there were probably like 25 different things that he said during the course of this two or three hours that indicated that I, I would bet money on his politics being, you know, left. In fact, I followed him on Twitter after the concert and was like a little chagrined that he wasn't following me back. I was like, Dan, I thought you were going to be my people. Like, I thought I was immediately <laughs> going to be able to hop on your DMs and, like, invite you on the show. Um, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But I hear well, look, you, Grace. I, I do think... Destroy Boys. They're... Dest- okay. Destroy Boys. Destroy Boys. I'm not going to do it in this Yahoo search engine. They're... I mean, it was it was great. And yeah, I just felt really energized. And, you know, it was like an event where I left feeling really energized. And I think like we have to start there if we're kind of all in a lower, you know, we're just being bombarded by like bad news all day. I think that's right. I mean, I really tried to check out this weekend. I I did not even bring my laptop to Baltimore. (laughs) And um, it worked until this morning <laughs> when I had to face my obligations and I'm like scrambling to play catch up about everything that happened and like binge watch one, six clips and everything else. So I can be prepared to talk about Where, whatever on rising oh, tomorrow. Oh, so it's really for rising. Cause I was like, do you have to watch that? It's for rising. Cause, cause here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to say, oh, nobody watched this anyway. And there's a temptation just to agree because my politics are not like one six, what you know, one six politics. However, right. if that's not true, <laughs> I don't want to just be nodding along stupidly. So you know, there's this obligation to a, a form inform yourself. Like if people did watch it, and there is some appetite for this kind of thing among liberals, and in fact, Donald Trump and all these people did things wrong. I'm not trying to you know uh, accommodate oh kind of right wing whitewashing of all of that just because I also wish we were focusing on more material issues. You know what I mean? So it's just a weird, it's a weird space to be in, but that's whatever. I'm grateful to be in it and I'm going to stop complaining about it. And the feds about to, that's my beef of the day is the fed abolish it. Three, (laughs) three, three. I mean, that's, it's great. I mean, what are they doing? They're going to, I mean, well, I'm a real well, Rose kind of with you on that one. You know, what did you think about Rose saying like how chagrined he is that, 
the Democratic Party, Joe Biden's line was to go on the late night show and say, well, we've got to respect the Fed. We've got to respect I mean, the that's, Fed. That's, yeah, I, I fully agreed with him there. I mean, the Fed is, well, I mean, they're, to me, what they're doing right now is absolutely insane. I mean, I'm just seeing like the day-to-day effects in the real estate world and like, mm-hmm. you know, all this is doing is kicking out the people who could barely buy a house to begin with. Um, and now, you know, you're cutting their budgets even further and letting the cash people come in and it's not going to help inflation. And it's, I mean, it just seems like they're spiraling us straight, straight into a recession and they don't care at all. I mean, this is, and this is wildly fast for them to be raising the rates too. I mean, um, it, it was like, they've been 3% this year, you know, it's like to double them. It's, I don't think it's going to have the intended effect at all. And also it's going to just make Joe Biden look even worse. I mean, just yeah. hand, hand Tucker Carlson some more material. Why don't you? I've heard you guys say that you want me just to bring Richard Wolf back. And I think I will. It's funny uh, because I do think to myself, oh, obviously variety is the spice of life. Let me not just bring the same people back on over and over and over again. But there are diminishing returns for me going out of my way and hustling and trying to find new voices in the lefty space. So it's easier for me. <laughs> and I'm happy just to bring Richard Wolf back uh, once a month, if that's what you guys want. I'm going to start with I would love that. Smarter, not harder is my resolution for the month. <laughs> I, I ended up like YouTube and put me on some very old Richard Wolf, like new school talk from like from the previous recession. Mm. Um, and I was like, uh, yeah, it was, it was blowing my mind. Yeah. We'll get him back. It's, I, I guess it has been a few months now. Um, so I will reach out this evening. Thank you so much for calling in. Grace. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Okay. I am going to hop around a bit. Isaac, I don't recall this avatar. What's on your mind this evening? Wait, can you hear me? I can hear you. I, sorry, I was I was just considering whether or not I actually wanted to uh, go through with my call. No peer pressure. Yeah. Um, my yeah, I actually wasn't going to call in this week, um, but because you had neoliberalism in your show title, I felt compelled to. <laughs> and uh, just very broadly, what do you think is a good way to push back against the very idea of neoliberalism. I mean, the worst of it is the people who say that better things aren't possible. I mean, if I were talking to a, a, a normie and not trying to derail the whole conversation, I mean, did, you, did anybody, did you, did you happen to watch um, Cornell West on Bill Maher? Uh, no. I saw the Vanguard boys talking about it and it is so pernicious. Bill Maher is so... <laughs> It's such a problem because this whole shtick these days is, okay, Cornell, like, I like you a lot, but, you know, that's just politics. You know, everything bad that Cornell points out is a problem. You know, his response is, oh, but that's just politics. Of course politicians are corrupt. Of course they don't do what they could do. Of course, And, and then mm-hmm. he pretends that the, the things that are very directly squarely within Biden's control, like student debt cancellation – are for other kinds of reasons impossible. Like he pretends that things are less politically popular than they are. He pretends that Biden doesn't have power when he does have power. And it's all of this enormous 
it's, it's just nonstop gaslighting because no one will actually confront the reality that they're really just saying my ethics and values don't align with helping people. I'm comfortable with the status quo. And I think exposing that tension, exposing the reality of what people are saying behind the cover of, oh, I'm just a pragmatist, um, is in some ways the real fundamental project because we all know that people don't disagree with us. We're all raised with these values to say like, help the poor and don't let people die in the street. I mean, this isn't like <laughs> inventing the wheel here, but we, we got to unlock the mind control that's having, is making like most of the population totally comfortable with people dying in the street. I mean, do you, do you think that a part of that is kind of pushing aside the abstraction that everybody kind of tends toward? What, how do you mean? Just that like it, everybody's going to have some sort of, rhetorical spiel about like the things that they actually believe but if i don't know if there's another way to go about it but if you were to just sit there and say how do you mean what do you mean why like just repeatedly eventually they would just say well people are unequal you know and that's at the base of yeah that's at the base of it but it's been expanded out so much that it seems like it's just a conversation where we can't actually get at the base issues. Yeah, well, I will. Say, I think that many Republicans eventually are, are are pretty close to saying people are just unequal. I mean, look, we have this whole white supremacist thing happening. <laughs> we're oh, yeah. saying it kind of explicitly, um, and there are a lot of, I think, neoliberal libs who are very are the, the credentialist elite types who also very much believe that things are unequal, that they believe that, you know, the Pete Buddha judges of the world and the technocrats are superior, mm-hmm. not because of like their racial or genetic met- makeup, but because they have jumped through the rings that make you superior. And they will come very close to admitting that as well. I think on, on some level, and, and I've had these conversations, I had some of the most depressing conversations in the course of Bernie 2020 with neoliberal friends or friends, neoliberal friends of friends who uh, this one argument I had with my then boyfriend's friend who was like a doctor and his new newly purchased brownstone in New York, a black guy who just fully came out to saying like, people should have to pay for medicine, you know, like the, the, he started with like these fringe little complaints around the edges. Um, you know, doctors always like start complaining about the cost of their health insurance and how hard it is for them to make a salary and all this stuff. And my rejoinders about how, well, I wish you didn't have to pay back your student loans. I would cancel them. I would make it free for you. You know, that doesn't really get you there because it really isn't about that for, you know, for people like him. It's not, everyone's not like that. But it got a, the conversation got really heated. It was like a barbecue. It took up the whole space in the room. This is what I was trying to say to the earlier caller, Nick. Like, I'm not afraid of doing this, but I've done it enough times to know that it doesn't go well, and it makes me not fun at parties, and I don't always want to do this. And it was like a negative had a negative impact on my relationship. Um, but it, it got really ugly because um, it got really defensive, even though I kept kind of trying to back out of the conversation. And it ended up with him saying he, – he raised an example of free care like that. Um, he was like, well, I'm a good person basically because I – my part of – through my program, we do a free clinic and provide free medical care for this like portion of the week. 
And I was like, well, great. Don't you think that everybody should have that all the time? Like, aren't you <laughs> conceding on some level that the need for you to provide free care points to a deficit in our system? Like, aren't you proving my point by pointing out that in your own, like, postdoctoral, pro- whatever he was in his own, like, residency program, you have to build in these escape hatches for everyone who's falling through the cracks? And then it just, it just like, blew up. Because he couldn't, like, he couldn't, because he was, he, in his head, he's a good person. And he, I'm sure he is like a good person, like hashtag good person, whatever that means. But he couldn't, he couldn't acknowledge the, his, the, old, the role that he played in the system and that what is working out for him personally and for his family, he had a young family, what is not necessarily what was best for society at large. And it's interesting for me because I, as a corporate lawyer, I don't know. I never really had that impulse. I was like, yes, I'm doing very shitty things all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> like My ego wasn't caught up in it like that. Like I felt bad about it. I wasn't acting on my principles. I was nobody's hero just to like announce that I'm a bad person but not change anything about it. I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back here. But I, I didn't feel the need to like do any myth making about my role in it all. Right. And, and People so aren't you aren't like that. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It, yeah, no, uh, you you got into that conversation with him by just, like, cutting to the chase? Well, I, to be honest, that day I was really, really trying to get out of it because it was extremely socially awkward. And then <laughs> I went to the bathroom and I started to cry. <laughs> and it was oh, all very no. bad. And I didn't come out of the bathroom for, like, an hour. It was, like, a very bad day. <laughs> it was oh, very, boy. very, very bad. Um, it was a rough summer, guys. Summer 2019. <laughs> I mean, hopefully he had left by then. No, no, it was his house. Oh, no. <laughs> it was his house. But, uh, but no, like, the, it just, it happens. Like, so this is how I feel. Like, I can't open my mouth. What, what really gets me, here's why I didn't want to talk to the West, the dog park lady or the um, convenience store lady. I, there's no halfway to the conversation. There's no, like, dipping your toe in. It's once you start down this road, it becomes a full-on indictment of somebody's morals and values. It is not – like I'm not obviously trying to do that, but the natural implications when, – when you say healthcare is a human right, when you say some of these things that sh- like should be second nature, because they are so obviously true but also so obviously not how we live our lives and run our society, it can be a real gut punch to people and really attack the ego and people's sense of self in a way that is challenging. It's challenging. And I think the division among the left and liberals since 2016 is largely that folks haven't been able to negotiate that. Half of us were libs. Saw Bernie was like, great. I don't want to be a lib anymore. I should be holding myself into a higher standard. Bernie's showing me the way. By by libness. I'm over libness. Yes. The other half of us were like, there must be something wrong with what Bernie's saying. Because the implications of what he's saying is that I have been not living up to my ideals I am part of the problem, and I can't accept that. And so I'm just going to dig my heels in and come up with the reasons why Bernie, oh, black people don't like Bernie, oh, Bernie's anti-woman, oh, Bernie. Like, just come up with this shit to rationalize why I shouldn't change. I don't know. I, I think that those of us who saw that things were wrong and decided to move on left still took a lot of that baggage with us. Because, like, that comes up in my mind all the time. Like, I, I live in the middle of nowhere, like during the 2020 George Floyd protests, like I was upset. I, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> mm. Like I, I wanted to be somewhere where I could actually do organizing and like enact whatever little change that I could, but I couldn't. And so that that's, that's always there. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like people you like, I've had this experience, people I really like, like that, that, that incident in summer 2019 was like my then boyfriend's friends. So, you know, whatever. But I have my own relationships with people. There are people in my life who I love very much and who I've been very intimate with in the past. Like we're in each other's, you know, I've been in their weddings and all of this that I basically have, I've been interrogating why I don't open the text threads and why I've been a little avoidant of them. And it's because I don't want to have these conversations with them because I love them. And I don't want to be confronted with the, the, the gap, the gulf that politics has created between us. I, I don't, if they ask me a single thing about my life, a single thing about what I do for a living, a single thing, like it, there's no halfway the, the way right. I'm so deep in it. I, I was having, you know, this is, I'm telling too much information about myself, but I was, I like, I met the guy I'm dating's parents and we're trying to have like nice dinner conversation, but they asked me very nicely about my job and I was like, Oh boy. You know, I think the the first question uh, I was asked, you know, they're, they're from, I'm telling way too much information. They're from a place where there was recently a hot progressive race. Okay. (laughs) And they asked me like, what do you think about this candidate? Who is the left candidate that I like, but in a tone that suggested that they didn't really get that candidate or why they had appeal. And I was like, well, you know. I'd like, I think that people really respond to their authenticity and these policies. And I'm like trying to gently (laughs) avoid the landmine of them clearly kind of like feeling contemptuous about, not contemptuous is a strong word, but you know, I was a little dismissive of this figure who I think is really great. But it's, it's, if I go, if I, you know, advocate for them with my full chest, then they're going to feel judged for their initial opinion, which I don't want them to feel. And also it's not like super informed. I don't think they would like die on the cross on this thing. Right. And it's, I feel sometimes like every interaction is so supercharged with this stuff that is exhausting. And I just want to stay in on the weekend and binge watch the new episodes of the boys. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I just heard about that. I need to get on it. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to turn this into my therapy session. I should be paying you for this. No, no, no. No, no, it's great. Uh, Good conversation. I did just completely lose track of the thing that I was going to bring up, though. Uh, Oh, yeah. That's uh, like specifically trying to navigate those things just because there's um, so much. I don't know. since, Since in our society, like anything that's to the left uh, is considered red scare territory. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that it might be beneficial uh, to kind of latch on to the more libertarian side of things, mm. you know, Good like um, just in terms of like, like, you know, I believe in individual liberties and if a corporation comes in and buys all of the housing in my area that denies me the right to have like own my own house Mm -hmm. and little things like that without Mm -hmm. trying to sell it as something that's social, even though really it is. Yeah. So I, I mean, it feels like a little bit what you're describing as this difference between like negative freedoms and positive freedoms. Yeah. 100%. And I think that can be very effective. Um, I, I, talking about it expressly as negative and positive freedoms, I have not found a lot of success with. I think it just confuses people. 
but talking about it in terms of specific examples, you know, mm-hmm. do I have the freedom to go to school without it being a heavily armored institution and not fear that I'm going to get gunned down? Right. You know, do I have the freedom to, you know, walk down the street and not feel like I'm going to get hit by a self-driving car? You know, um, you know, do I have the, the freedom from hunger, from want, from homelessness? Do I have healthcare as a human right? Do I have the freedom to change jobs without worrying that if I get sick in between my family is not going to have any recourse and we're going to go bankrupt, you know, and, and some of those things, you know, present to people as very much like naturally as freedoms that they should enjoy. And some of those feel like, you know, folks be like, Oh, of course healthcare is not a human right. Of course, education is not a human right. You got to earn for it. If you don't work, you shouldn't be able to eat. (laughs) God bless America. Uh, but I, I do, I do wish sometimes on a, on a, on a high level, there were people in the same way that right wing, you know, the conservatives have propagandized and taught people what it means to have an invisible hand of the market and what all those like weird words mean, originalism. They like they sell these concepts so that when it t- comes time to deploy them in some specific context, everyone is on the same page. Sometimes I do wish that work was being done to present Americans with this idea of positive and negative freedoms um, because it's so relevant. And I think you're right; it really is useful to people. Yeah, and and it hasn't been presented broadly in this country, I don't think. And so just kind of planting that seed and getting people to think about things just a little bit differently is probably helpful. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, not everyone is going to have, like, uh, I think it was when you spoke with Andrew Sullivan and you're like... (laughs) You're like, shouldn't children like not starve? And he's like, what? Of course, children will starve. Right. I I don't think that's going to be. (laughs) Well, well, but most people aren't who didn't like uh, study under Leo Strauss, and so like they're not just going to have that kind of knee jerk reaction, you know, preserving our liberal society or whatever he was on about. Although you'd be surprised, even if someone will say like, I don't think children should starve, they will, they might say, I think children should live in like a roach infested moldy hellhole and eat like, one <laughs> slice of bread a day to stay alive and go to the worst shitty school with gum bag. Like, cause as long as a kid is like literally alive and out of sight, like not on the street, like marring the view of your public park, <laughs> mm-hmm. then they're like kind of okay with it. And that's obvious, right? That's obvious about how the way we run our country. Like, it's obvious that people are okay with it. Yeah, I mean, then that kid will have it just as bad as the other person did. I mean, the, the kid the, the kid thing is like a useful rhetorical device because it cuts through a lot of people's feelings of like hashtag personal responsibility. But like the literally the way that America is run suggests that even if when confronted about it, people will say that they want things for kids. They fully don't want things for kids. They fully think that kids deserve barely above substance, obviously. You can't deny it. Was it the last call-in where the guy from South Africa was, like, bulking on our healthcare system? And he was like, you're, you're telling me that people have to pay to give birth? Like, I would like all Americans to get to that place where oh they're boy. bulking yeah. at, like, basically. But we're in a country that truly had to, like, fight for child health insurance. And, like, we're in a country that doesn't sign on to the Universal Declaration for the child because there are all of these rights that children have in, like, every other country in the world. And we don't have – and one thing that South African guy said that was so interesting to me is he was like, 
okay, but America is so wealthy. Because in his in his view, to the extent that South Africa doesn't have something, it's because like they just literally can't afford it. But we live in a country where we truly could do all of the things, and where it's like such a choice that the, the highlighting that is is a choice is what makes it so truly draconian. Yeah, it, that's. Uh, are you familiar with rhetoric of reaction? Mm-mm. It's it's an old book they talked about it on um know your enemy once upon a time Mm. um and it just goes over these three rhetorical strategies that are used whenever people are presented with things it's like pervert perversity uh i don't remember the other two i'm gonna look it up while i'm talking um but yeah i mean it, it it's basically just digging their heels in and like like i had there was a one of my family members had a kid born uh, right at the start of the pandemic and I have conservative parents. And I was like, isn't it absolutely fantastic that, you know, this child is being raised by both of their parents in Mm. the household, like all the time. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Too bad. It can't happen any other time. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what? But you see the benefit that it has like in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Weird. Like, truly propagandizing and broken. I mean, that's part of why the boy is so good, right? I mean, sorry, the boy is, the show is so good. Yeah. It's it, it reads as over the top cartoonishness, but honestly, it's literally how it is. <laughs> Minus the superheroes, like the politics of it all, the corporate sponsoring of the heroism mm-hmm. that like they did in one of the episodes, like a, like a, like a copy of the Caitlyn Jenner Pepsi ad where she brokers peace between cops and protesters with a can of fucking soda. Like, like it's, it is, it it feels cartoonish, but what's so horrifying about it is that it's not, it is a documentary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it seems hyperbolic, Mm -hmm. but it isn't at all. It, It isn't. It it isn't, and that same way that Trump was like, "There's no jokes to be written about this. It's just kind of, it's hilarious." I mean, like he it, it this this is happening. <laughs> Resist parody. Yeah, and after Madison Cawthorn, we know that you know the superheroes, or maybe that's how they see themselves, are killing yeah. people and then fucking in the alley. Yeah, 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 so. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you, Isaac. I feel like I've kept you here forever talking about my... Well, wait, but before I go, what, at the end of the day, what what is your response to someone saying that the free market is how things have to be? If someone is literally using the word... Okay, there's two ways to do this. And you can think think what you want about the ethics of this. One way to do it is to say, to completely dodge the issue and say there are definitely things that benefit from markets and there, you know, there's concepts about like market socialism and how some, you know, a mix of Mm -hmm. both is necessary. Like just now we live in a capitalist society, but there's so many things that, you know, the markets don't provide for. And that's why we have fire stations and public parks and libraries and public schooling, because we've decided that certain things should be guaranteed to folks Mm -hmm. and markets are inefficient. But maybe we should reconsider what the balance of those are and what we've really fully maximized the benefits of certain kind of socialist style programs in the United States 
And here's some models in other places of the world that give you an indication of how much better things could be run. And maybe we should talk about like, oh, gas prices right now. Like, whoa, like maybe all this price gouging isn't great for Americans. And instead of having the bigger philosophical conversation about like, well, you know, the invisible hand of the market is like uh, Reagan era propaganda that was uh, innovated in the Powell memo in the 1970s and intended to pull people away from the social, successful social movements of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Like, it doesn't always have to be all of that, is I guess what I'm saying. It, you got to judge your audience and the time and the place. And sometimes just the concession gets you farther than trying to disavow the whole, you know, their whole conceptual framework. Okay. Yeah, that that's helpful. Thank I mean, I don't you, know. I, I'm not. I'm nobody's expert. I just know like the approach. If I'm in passing with someone in the park, and the approach if I'm like, you know, this is someone who's going to be in my life, and we're really going to have to hash it out. All right. Yeah. 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 I, I get. I get what you mean. All right. Th- thank, thank you. you. Yep. Uh, have a good let's one. Go to you too. Keep the fate. Hank. I like this this puppy. I like this dog avatar. There's always a lot of cats in the chat. I see you, Shelly. But we got to give some dog love right now. Can you unmute yourself, Hank, and let us know what's on your mind? Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Bien sûr. What's up tonight? Uh, well, I had a couple things I was going to talk about. The first one was just um, <laughs> I know it's really cool to get these politicians booked on this show, and it's a good thing for everybody, but I really have trouble listening to them speak. Like to me, it seems like listening to a bad actor, try to talk and like, you can tell that there's something else behind those, like what they're saying and they're just trying to accomplish something. And I find it, you know, kind of difficult to listen to sometimes, but um, I don't know what you think about that. If you like feel that same way. Uh, no, I obviously feel like there's value in getting elected officials on the record. Uh, and I am really innervated by the opportunity to do exactly that. It's actually a lot of hard work. Um, it's hard to get the interviews. It's hard to conduct the interviews. It's hard to extract things and stick the landing when people who are in power and authority figures try to deny you answers. And I think it would actually be an abdication of my responsibility to reject opportunities to call people to the mat. So I know that a lot of people don't feel that way, but I really enjoy these interviews and we'll um, I, I, keep doing them. I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I didn't mean to say that you shouldn't book these people. I was just kind of wondering on a more personal level, if you, if when you hear them give their answers, if you feel like they're being genuine or if you also kind of feel like they almost everything they say is not based in trying to communicate what they think, but trying to communicate like what they're supposed to think or what they think, you know, somebody wants to hear. I mean, I I think they're politicians and I think we can all see where the lines are and what they're trying to avoid saying and the the, the pitfalls they're trying to avoid stepping in. And I don't think it's necessary for me to say that's obviously wrong and it's a lie after every sentence because we would spend the whole interview on one question when it's obvious, I think, to everyone who's listening to it, what comes off as dishonest, what's a bad answer, and we can just move on and cover a lot more subjects. 
And it is frustrating to me, I will say, when people are like, well, don't you know that this is, oh, that's a lie. And didn't you? It's like, yeah, brain geniuses, I, I see it, but I've got 40 minutes and I got to get through these questions. He, he obviously, I, I'm, I'm doing the work of getting him on the record and everyone else can clip it up and do the shows that get a lot more clicks, you know, when, you know, decide, you know, dunking on it and doing whatever they want to do. Like, I'm glad for that to happen, but I'm in a unique position where occasionally an elected official is willing to come and submit to my show because they think that I ask the questions in a way that's fair and balanced. And I'm going to keep taking those opportunities because otherwise we would never know. We would, we would, we would never know what Ro Khanna, you know, had to say when pressed on his jingoistic response to Max Blumenthal. We would never know why what his justification is for endorsing Nomiki Khan's because nobody in the mainstream media knows or cares and would ever ask him that. And there are very few other shows that people like him will go on. So, you know, I'm sorry that people feel differently, but there are a lot of shows you can go and listen to where someone just says like Ro Khanna sucks over and over again. And like, I also listen to some of those shows and feel very validated by them, but there's no reason, you know, you don't get the grist to complain about him unless somebody actually just does an interview. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I don't know. I feel like that speaks really negatively of the whole electoralism strategy, though, at the end of the day, if, you know, every time an elected official or even someone who's like running for an elected office, you know, none of those people can come on any of these shows without sounding like, you know, pre-programmed robots it's i mean i don't think that everyone sounds like a pre-programmed robot you know i i know that folks didn't love the or some people weren't wild about um michaela wilkes you know whatever you have to say about her i don't think she sounded like a pre-programmed robot and and even though i was frustrated with some of her answers i don't think ali delsimer sounded like a pre-programmed robot i thought she sounded like someone who believed her choices to be constrained and answered questions that way, but also was kind of open about the fact that she felt like her choices were constrained and she didn't know what to do and was very kind of forthcoming about how overwhelmed she was by it all. And, you know, it's disappointing, but like, I felt like it was very human. I don't know. Yeah. Do you... No, I mean, I, I see that. I, I definitely, I know what you mean. I, there are definitely people who run for office, you know, who are running for office that have been on the show that I, you know, like better than others and that definitely seem more like real people. And it's just, it seems obviously it's, it's the, it's the problem with running for political offices. You have to be concerned about what people think, but it, it's just, you know, it'd be nice to hear somebody who's trying to, you know, affect political change firsthand like that, who, who feels like they can just speak freely about what they believe and not have to, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, I do sometimes feel like also you lot are a little, I care if someone sticks to ideological landing. I don't care if they use the right magic words. Like I, I know people who sometimes want me to ask this question. We used to ask this question earlier on the podcast. Like, are you a socialist? And I gotta say, I don't really care about somebody's answer to that question. Cause there are people who said yes. And they don't act right. And there are people who say no that have been better stewards of my policy preferences. And you answer that question in a certain kind of way, regardless of who you are or how good you are, that becomes a certain kind of political liability. 
And with all the things I'd rather you take political heat on, all the lines in the sand I'd rather you take political heat on, that one to me is kind of meaningless in contemporary America. And people can feel differently and have different kind of litmus tests, but I'd much rather know, like, you know, your stance on, you know, some of these, you know, super PACs and how, whether or not they're going to influence you on your stance on Palestinian rights and stuff like that. You know, that to me, that's a question that is going to be a more meaningful predictor of where you're going to cave politically. And so I do think that there are some times that I feel like, like it's like the way some of you guys feel about folks running within the democratic party. I get it. But then there are also these candidates that are running on places where there is no third party access. There is, even if there were the odds of them getting into office are nil you kind of want them to run these performative campaigns where they say all the right things. Like, I think there's a way to say things that are right and good that are the right combination of things that make you believe and also aren't such a political liability. And I think Michaela was actually towing that line very well, but sometimes it does feel like you guys all want folks to just to completely kamikaze themselves using their own personal money and not being affluent. People like Ali, Ali Delsimer, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Even though I wish she had answered the questions differently, I don't think that every answer that folks wanted her to give would have been the right answer to give. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I think that's that all makes a lot of sense. Um, it's just I and I'm. It's kind of occurring to me now that part of the problem might be that you know with the prolif- proliferation of all this, you know, left political YouTube, you know, whatever media spaces. I assume most people here in this, you know, call consume at least some of that. And it's, it can definitely be, at least for me, frustrating to, on one hand, you know, follow any number of left political, you know, figures on the internet and hear, at least to me, what sounds like a lot of just clear, you know, truths about our system that you just, uh, once you start listening to, like I was, the people who are actually trying to make those changes, they just don't sound anything like each other. And I, I'm not even saying necessarily that that's bad. It's just kind of, it, it creates some tension, you know, at least personally. And I, you know, I think that's, it's, it's kind of a struggle to, you know, support these people when you hear stuff from other personalities that sounds, you know, so much more. Well, who, who sounds, who's an example of someone who sounds clear for you? I mean, you're a good example, but you you know, but people aren't, I'm not running for office. Well, that's the, I think that's the point. It's, People who sound like you or who sound on certain issues like, I don't know, um, Crystal Ball or even on certain issues, Jimmy Dore Mm -hmm. or Max Blumenthal or Aaron Mate or Katie Halper. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of people who just sound, and it's obviously it's because they're media personalities, I get it, but they just sound like they believe what they're saying and like they're not speaking rehearsed scripts 
or scripts that have just been handed in five minutes ago. And it's, it's just, it, I, I have not heard more than a handful of politicians who can evince that kind of authenticity. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think it's also true. Like I was listening to the like some clips people were posting. The case study was posting of um, the Bernie Lindsey Graham debate, and there was this one moment where Lindsey Graham de- de- accused him of wanting to defund the police, and Bernie's like, "No, no, no! I never said that. I don't want to defund the police. I think we just need to do community policing." And like, I think that's a shit answer. Like, I un- I both understand why Bernie gives that answer with his constituents in Vermont and his at one point national political goals and also me personally as a human being with my own personal individualized ideology i hate the answer i hate it i think it's stupid i think bernie as far as i can tell isn't running for anything and i think it's dog shit to be like backing down on the idea of defund the police two weeks after a bunch of cops failed to stop the massacre of a bunch of kids and while there's it pending Pending, it seems like they don't want to release these body cams because maybe the cops shot some of the kids. Like, if this isn't the moment to be like, yeah, we need to be really thinking about whether police are actually improving our safety, then what is? Now, politically, I understand that very different minds can disagree. I had it out on this show with Benjamin Jealous, and a lot of people who I think agree with me in my critique of policing still don't like the defund label, and, you know, fine. But I, I I struggle to think of a single person who kind of uniform like who doesn't have some moment like that where I'm disappointed. Even Cornell West on Bill Maher, there was this moment where Bill Maher asked him, um, "Do you?" you know, he's like they're talking about the classics for some reason. Was it the classics? There was some colloquy where Cornell just kind of sidesteps the question. Oh, it was about like identity politics. And, and, and Bill Maher's like, it sounds like you kind of don't believe in identity politics either. And Cornell says, well, you know, I believe that we're all brothers and sisters. And he, you know, he gives that kind of warm, lovely, spiritual answer to these kinds of things. But it kind of lets Bill Maher claim a win. You know, and I, I, there's a part of me that wanted him to, like, explain to Bill Maher that there's a difference between like kind of weaponizing identity in these perverse ways and actually just standing by the fact that people are being persecuted based on these various identities that they didn't necessarily even invent or claim and that it's absurd as someone who claims to be anywhere on the left to deny that it's important to advocate for rights on the same basis that you're being attacked on. They just pulled a bunch of freaking White supremacists and khakis at the back of a truck on the way to a pride parade like two days ago. And again, we're on the back foot and all of this stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. And I'm going on and on. But like, I, I love Cornell West is the point. I adore him. And I, I, you know, I obviously love, you know, I love Bernie, but to, you know, there's no, there's no hero in the, in the space of politics. Everyone is like picking and choosing their battles and it's like disappointing. And I don't know. I, I I respect everybody's like personal lines in the sand where they're like, oh, well, he will screw that person. I'm not going to support that person. Like I totally get that, especially when you're talking about donating money that nobody has to candidates. But also, like I don't know. Like Bernie was flawed, and everyone got behind him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was behind him, uh, and I think he definitely. I agree with what you're saying about him being flawed, but I also think he was 
definitely one of that handful of politicians I was talking about who, when I listen to him speak, I hear someone who believes what he's saying and who, uh, you know, isn't reading off a script. Yeah. But, you know, I, 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 I don't, again, I don't want to make myself, you know, misunderstood. I think getting all these politicians on your show is great. I, I love listening. I listen to every episode. It's great content, but you know, like I was saying, it's just the, on a, on a personal level, it's just, it, I also am disappointed that I, yeah, it, there doesn't I seem it. to be anyone out there I can, I could plausibly vote for who doesn't, you know, sound like they. I mean, what about uh, Rebecca Parsons? I think she seems pretty bomb. <laughs> I mean, no, I maybe don't live in Washington state. I obviously don't, but. I don't, I live in California, but. I mean, that's kind of close. <laughs> you know, moving. No, it's, it's true. Uh, maybe to Oregon. We'll see. I'm halfway there. <laughs> um, but no, I she definitely. I don't remember, ex- you know, every point of her interview, but you know, I, I mean, I didn't have she her did, on. She's been on this Colin show before. Okay, um, but I haven't interviewed her on Bad Faith. Okay, for sure. Well, anyway. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I uh, really appreciate the sh- content you put out. It, you know, it's great. And I just want to say one more thing. Um, I'm rewatching DS9 one more time before uh, it leaves Netflix at the end of the month. And <gasps> that what? Yeah, DS9 it leaves is Netflix going, at the end of the month. It's going to Paramount Plus. What? Yeah. So. I'm trying to get to the end of it. I just uh, watched the two path tense two-parter a couple days ago and it's scary. Absolutely terrifying how on point that uh, episode is. Which episode? The Gabriel Bell uh, episode where they go back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned it on one of your other episodes. I just, yeah, it's... um, insanely prescient yeah i I'm, I'm, this always becomes brianna's dating life hour a few years ago i was seeing a guy who was a big trekkie and for one of our dates we were supposed to pick the episode that we felt best represented each other and he picked that one for me he did not share my politics he was like a banker <laughs> um but he picked that yeah. episode for me and i was like oh you get me you get this this is good for a short period of time. Anyway, love that episode. And thank you for calling in Hank. And you know, I'm sorry to be like so peevish about these candidate interviews, but I do like, I feel like, like, look, I would like to do every episode sitting around talking about TV shows and happy go lucky shit all day too, you know, but it's like eat your vegetables. Like I don't, I don't want to do this shit either, (laughs) but I feel like it's like an obligation. So it feels frustrating for me. I will, I will say to be like, like, I also want to just sit around like dunking on clips and talking about how stupid everybody is and like, you know, getting in the muck. Like, that's what's fun. I'm human. I like to be, you know, catty. <laughs> but like, then like these opportunities come and I feel like I have this responsibility and then everyone complains about it. And it's like, well, fine, fuck it. We'll just, I'll, I'll get my friend Joe to come back. Like we had my old podcast, Booty, and we'll just sit around talking about what happened on Twitter all day and on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And you, everyone, it's less work for me. Everyone's happier. Like, why am I even bothering? <laughs> well, 
Well, I would still listen, but uh, I definitely think you're doing the you're doing the right show for the moment. All right, thank you, Hank. Sorry to vent again. Sorry, this is Brianna's therapy hour. Apparently, no, it's um, all good. I'm ha- happy to do it. <laughs> let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, Sylvester, I haven't called on you in a while, and it looks like you dropped the into the queue, even though you were kind of near the front a second ago. What happened? What's going on with you, cousin? <laughs> How well, you doing, Sai? It has been a while. I'm solid. I, I first, it's funny because I, I came on and I wanted to talk about Roe. Mm-hmm. I started hearing about your dating life and that sounded a lot more interesting. Stop. <laughs> then, then I started seeing that there was an intersection between you feeling like the people within your circle at the dog park or at these little dinners, they're making you out to be like a Roe where you are giving answers that you may not feel the most you know, best of all, but you're not trying to cause that tension, which is what it seemed like Ro was doing on the pod yesterday. Well, it's just every moment of my life cannot be conflict. <laughs> it cannot be. It's peace. not sustainable. He's <laughs> like, I got to just live at some point, y'all. <laughs> like, I'm at the dog park. I like I was just I was just trying to buy some cold cream from from, from CVS. Like, like, I needed a makeup the- remover. You know what I mean? Like, can I live? You can't go to the dog park without Russia coming up. I listen. I ain't even going. I didn't know that's the conversation. That the, I don't have a dog. I didn't know that's what they was talking about. I also a- don't have a dog. To be clear. <laughs> <laughs> That was, I was like, when she get a dog now? She uh, it has this been over somebody else's dog, you know. It was somebody else's dog, and then um, yeah, and then you talking about you know I met his parents and everything. I'm like, whoa, this sounds kind of kind of serious. I'm now wondering what this brother's profile is now. You meeting the parents and everything? What's the deal with all that? Right, all right, all right, all right. Look, the point. <laughs> the point simply. You offered is, it up. <laughs> the point. The point simply is. That I like, I am not, I'm in a weird position that everyone is not in because most people can talk about just their job in the abstract without it necessarily having to be a whole thing. And most people's opinions aren't so aggressively out in the world. Like I have had, you know, people's parents text the person I'm dating about something that I've tweeted. No, you lying. Or like when I when I went when the Soledad O'Brien came after me, like <laughs> you know the person's you know parents' partner, not their parent, but their parent, their divorced parents' partner. You talking like a drug dealer? You so vague. Sound <laughs> <laughs> like you push away or something? Oh, like whose identity are they? Are they in witness protection? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just really trying to get you not to lie. I've been, I've already told you enough information to try and get everybody. But I'm just saying, like, they were like, oh, I'm hearing on the internet that Brianna loves Tucker Carlson. You know what I mean? Like, Whoa. this is what I'm having to deal with. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get in the mix. You know, I'm trying to just be a nice girl for a while. Do you know what I mean? Listen, you in this public life. That's what it is. There's no peace when you step into that arena. I'm like, this is this is getting ridiculous. I just say, you know, but the bigger the profile goes, that's what come with it. 
you know, fortunately and unfortunately, because like you said, it, you know, it does give you the opportunity to uh, have conversations, put people on the records and so on and so forth. But the other thing that comes with it is that, you know, the, the no peace part. Yeah. But, you know, um, but, I, you know, to the to that to the episode, to the episode, um, I was listening to it and I heard world talking. Sorry. Hello. Oh, sorry. I just like zeroed out of the my app closed for some reason. Um, yeah, the no peace part. Look, it, you know, I really don't mean to be complaining. I, I am like grateful. I was walking um, home today from the nail salon with a dog or no with, dog? from the nail salon, and okay, no I was, you know, thinking, Brianna, you're so lucky to be able to do this. Buck up. Stop complaining. Um, you know. Like your job is like, you should be so grateful. And then I thought, no, Brianna, that's capitalism talking. <laughs> you shouldn't be grateful to work. Like this is ridiculous that you were made to be feel like you should like take your licks and keep it going. And then I was like, wait, but no, Brianna, actually, and like, I, to- I like had turned myself into knots <laughs> trying to figure out <laughs> how to manage my emotion, like regulate my emotions over like generalized work anxiety. And I was like, this fuck it. Let me just hop on this calling. Cause I'm about to be late. And so that, that is the mental space that you have found me in this evening. Cats and kittens. Yeah. <laughs> the cats and kittens <laughs> in between a rock and a hard place. You navigating it though. You navigate it, and, and and even like uh, you know, you were saying it on the uh, on the last. And I saw you know what, brother Cornell. He was down here for the people summit. Mm. With, uh, the people summit was fire. I'm not gonna mm. lie to you. I was there. Um, it did definitely seem like it had a lot more energy than the summit of the Americas. Uh, definitely, I think that's kind of <laughs> is that uh, the standard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's reflective of the the global shift that we're starting to see, you know, with uh, the U.S. not being what it was in terms of like by empire standards and stuff. But um, there was a lot of there was a lot of people. The speakers were the speakers were amazing. Um, the the conversation and, you know, the conversations are good because, you know, it helps us get to the place where hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do the things. Um, but it was a lot of good, a lot of good energy with a lot of good energy over there. But um what was I? What was I saying? Oh, with uh, Roe, the homie mm-hmm. Roe. Yeah, um, and how you navigated it. Um, I guess one of my biggest takeaways uh from it, and like you said, Roe, sure he's a nice guy. You had a drink with him, had some lunch with him, pleasant. Um, but really, and then even when you played the AOC clip and how she was, you know, twisting and turning about Biden and whether or not she was gonna support him, I'm like, damn, I think that we really. We really got to get to a place where like these, I mean, just really acknowledge these people aren't our friends, even as nice as they could be. Um, where like, and I'm not one of the people I don't really, I don't really, you know, believe in just like, like dunking and shitting on people just cause I don't really think it's productive. doesn't really get us to a, a closer place to like making things actually change. But I do definitely believe in calling people in and, you know, pushing them with love to be the best person they yeah, can. or even you not know like, I, mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't i don't even necessarily think that some of these people are nice people like that to me is so beside okay, the point <laughs> you know but like from from my perspective if i want to have access i mean like to me access journalism like being nice to people is stupid but i i like no one wants to come talk to someone who's like yeah they're a 
dog shit idiot. Like, come on. No, like I am happy to say, I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. I think you're misrepresenting the case. I think what you're doing is effectively, you know, running cover for the democratic party. Like those are, I think, legitimate sound criticisms that people should be able to take. I don't expect someone to want to come on the show and I'm like, Oh, you're ugly or, you know, some stupid non-substantive, <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, I, I, I think that you're a, you know, I think that you're a, an op, you know, just like vague, vague, unsupportable right. claims don't help anybody. So that's what I'm like. I'm, I'm happy for other people to like get their cathartic licks in. Like I support it. It's fine. Like I get it. I say what I want to say in private, but like on the show, like in this context, I'm going to stick to the things, the su- concrete criticisms that I can prove and not just be like, Oh, I think that Roe is an evil hack. And that, I mean, like it is what it is, but you know, there's plenty that's there on the record to criticize. Right. You know, but, and I, I think that, you know, your role in the, in the media, I think, and it's more so, I guess, for the cats and kittens and the dogs <laughs> and all of us, <laughs> but your, your role in the media, and that's what makes you good at what you do is to be able to heighten the contradictions in a way where you're obviously you're not going to scare the person off from wanting to come back and have a conversation, but make it clear to us because it was all clear to us the way he was like, dodging around stuff and there was even one point where i think you got him in a a bind where he was like oh well you know i supported her because she was a bernie sanders person and then he was just like well you know wouldn't you say it's fair that the other person's a bernie yeah sanders i wasn't even of- trying to ask about the nina turner stuff because that just feels like yesterday's news but when he said that uh-huh. i was like okay but wait <laughs> what yeah and I was like, damn, that's just, that one's kind of nasty because I'm like, and, and sometimes I, I would I would actually respect it more if you're just like, you know what, you're right. I don't really know a lot about that race and I probably should have just stayed out of it, not knowing anything about it. Um, But he still did the kind of dance. And I think that's the the signal for everybody else on the outside in terms of the way that we're interacting with our elected officials is we're pressuring them in a certain way that pulls you pulled back the the veil in terms of like whatever someone might be thinking about Roe and you did it in a in a great way um to show us that without having him feel like he was being attacked in some type of way so i feel like you're setting off the smoke signal and then the lot the kits and the kit ends is just like yeah go go <laughs> go pressure your boy you know like i'm you know cuz i'm giving you those entry points so i think that you did i think that you did it well a good job about that and um yeah i don't know i'm just yeah i am kind of disappointed because i think right now the only person i might be holding out on is Corey. Mm. Only person i might be holding out i would Corey. love for but, her to come on the podcast but here's the thing i'm gonna be honest here's it i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna need to ask her about the eviction moratorium oh yeah and the extent to which her sleeping on the steps was real versus a stunt and not a stunt in the way that she meant it in bad faith, but in the way that maybe even she was played by Nancy Pelosi, who basically gave her permission to do a protest because they knew that ultimately the, the, the court was going to overrule it anyway. And because that, mm. that is even on Bill Maher, like that moment was one of the, is one of the um, like, wins that people who want to you know make a case for the why we should elect more democrats and how the biden campaign has done x y and z to serve the people like bill maher had like a bullet point list when he was talking to cornell west and that was one of the things like well aren't you happy that 
It was like a list of things that Biden has done for black people. If you could, oh, I was if, you guys have, if you guys haven't heard this clip, maybe I should just try to pull it up right quick because I know Case said he had posted it. I was like, I know this man is not like like white explaining to Cornell West what Joe Biden has done for black people. I'm about to lose my ever loving mind. Um, but even what he brought up was like I thought it was like you know when he does that new rules things and it's like a mm-hmm. joke. I thought it was like a joke. When he was just like, well, you have a black person on the Supreme Court and there's more diversity in the cabinet. Right. And there's this like Juneteenth. He put, he put Juneteenth, Juneteenth on, the on there. <laughs> Juneteenth was on the list. It was dead I don't, I don't see like, it here. I saw the Vanguard guys talking about it. I'm not seeing it on case studies. Oh, wait, maybe this is it. Oh, this is a long clip. That's why. Oh, this is a long clip. Okay, let me see if I can find it in here because this is like a nine-minute clip, and we don't have time for all of that. Okay, let's see if I can look. Let's see if yeah. I can just spot find it. Let's see if I get lucky. Yeah, Rave is mistreating the Yemenite yes. folk. So, Israeli crimes against the okay, Palestinians. Just, he's not gonna say a word about. And look, he's in town right now. We just had the people summon, as you know. I know, right across from him, right? So we had the summer of the America. With Latin America, we are on the cutting edge of human rights. We at USA. In Latin America, on the cutting edge of human rights, with one one. Do your white guy impression again. (laughs) We are on the. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. No, but all the precious brothers and sisters in Latin America. I agree. Is it reset the button? Yes, of course. He's committing crimes against the president. It's a tremendous hypocrisy. He's a politician. That's what part of the gig is. Wait a second. Let me just finish. Yes, he doesn't want to invite the people to the to the heaven of the Americas. <laughs> you got New York City on your mind. City on the summit of the America. No harm in that. No harm in that. Uh, I live in Harlem. I live in because Harlem. he didn't invite Cuba and Nicaragua and Venezuela because they are led by. If you don't get the both parties, Mexico, Cuba, hope to be an follower of Jesus. On our electoral political system. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to be able to like find the little pop up list. It's at 2:40. In that nine, in that long clip that I'm playing. In the in the long clip, yeah, it's at 2:40. Okay. Uh, black folks, uh, okay. can I just sure. read? I said I looked into this. Here's sure. some of the things he's done. Sure. Forging uh, one of the most diverse <laughs> cabinets in history. Um, first, of course, black and female vice president directed federal agencies on the first day to address the impacts of systemic racism. Oh, oh, he directed some federal agencies to do a thing? That's what I'm saying, <laughs> yo. He didn't even do a thing. He, he talked to some people to look at what it might be like to do a uh, thing. Guess, guess what, Sylvester? <laughs> I just appointed a committee to figure out how to get you a million dollars. Stay tuned. <laughs> Man. Okay, sorry. Extended the eviction moratorium that uh, disproportionately helped black families remain safe during COVID. Uh, executive order improved educational opportunities for black people. Uh, the- An executive order to improve educational opportunities for black people? What the dickens what is that? What is that? What? I've never heard, like, truly somebody tell me what that is. I've never even heard of that. Ask Ja Rule. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Why would y'all rule now? Ask Dave. Okay, okay. Look, this list, I, come on. They used to choke holds. Uh, DOJ sued Georgia over discrimination, discriminatory voting laws. Uh, his cash relief program cut black child poverty by 40%. And then put it right back. 
That's what. Here comes Juneteenth. Here comes Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is now a federal <laughs> holiday, and first black woman to the Supreme Court. No, 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 not no those those are wonderful. Given, uh, so why do you call him milk toast then? I mean, well, he's milk toast because he still is tied to. Wall Street. He's got crimes of foreign policy. No, but he's a politician. So look, I love Dr. West. That's not the response I kind of wanted from Dr. West. That was a bad answer. Like, I, I wanted to, like, here, here's, here's the thing. I've been workshopping this. I don't know exactly how to say, how to say this, but what these people are basically doing, if I have $2 to my name and I give you $1, I'm a hero. Like, you should applaud that I gave you a dollar. If mm-hmm. I have... Jeffrey Bezos money and I give you a thousand dollars it's kind of weak sauce <laughs> do you know I mean like you have to judge somebody's actions by with the scope of what they really can do for you in mind right. and the fact that Joe Biden of course he's the president of the United States of America that if there's gonna be things that he can point to to justify why you should vote for him again but if you're looking down the barrel of all these executive actions and all of these promises, like canceling all student debt for HBCU graduates, which he has reneged on, and you're going to say uh, set a commission to consider opportunities for black educational attainment or whatever the hell that thing was, like that's disrespectful. Juneteenth after the George Floyd riots, that's disrespectful. And I wish, I wish that. Cornell West had said something that addressed the fact that Joe Biden is operating woefully under the scope of what he could do to help people and that so many of these programs are great. But the very fact that they were great and temporary is an indictment of our system. Oh, did I lose Sylvester? Oh, sorry. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I guess I don't know the app acting funny. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think I think that's what she was talking about when you initially we were kind of saying like Cornell had like a funny answer on there because I'm like he did have some funny answers on there even when he said like well those things are all great what you mean yeah what yeah you know and 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 Bill when you talk about Bill and you know Bill in a sense he kind of remind me of <laughs> I see some parallels with Ro in a sense uh, but just just from the standpoint of when you were saying that. Some people are comfortable, like with the status quo. Like you know, I'm I'm privileged in the sense of just like you know my fan, you know my Nigerian roots. You know my mom, she, you know went to nursing. She got a good little job and everything. We live in a nice neighborhood, so like I'm good. I never I've never been in a position where I was really that desperate. Where I felt like all right, like I need to do, I need to go take from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like them versus me. So I've never been in a situation like that. But the people, and that's part of the problem, is that the people, whether it's the, the talking heads or whether it's the elected officials, at the end of the day, they're not at that point of desperation where they feel like, okay, we need to do something now or it's going to get mm-hmm. bad. So the position is kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's just the way things are. Rick Caruso can buy a whole mm-hmm. election, you know, in L.A., and that's just the way things are, you know, politics. I mean, that when, when Bill Maher said that, like, to me, that is the most painful thing. You know, politics, he's just, he's a politician. What do you expect? To me, that is so much more pernicious, I'm sorry, than anything these Republicans are saying. That That is the obstacle to Democrat, to progressive progress. Not 
white body. body. That is, it is literally you. You are the enemy of me. I, people are like, why don't you spend time thinking about Mitt Romney or Lindsey Graham or whomever? They are a hundred percent not my problem. It's yeah. Bill Maher. <laughs> it's Bill Maher. <laughs> it's those thinking that 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 you think are on your side, but then they're like, "Well, slow down," and you know, there's time, and these things work. You know, work itself out over time. It's 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 those individuals. Unfortunately, those individuals have a uh, the platform, and you know, have a lot of people's ears um, in terms of you know uh, where they're getting any of their information from. So that I mean, that's yeah, that's the unfortunate part. But yeah, when he said that, and he brought up the race. The funny thing about the race. Um, I've been, you know, somewhat kind of involved in, you know, what's going on with L.A. politics mm-hmm. here. Um, the sad thing about the race and even with Ru- I wasn't surprised that Rick came first. And the reason why I wasn't surprised that Rick came first, um, there was a lot of energy when Karen came initially, you know, because it's almost like a homecoming. You leave in, you mm-hmm. went to Congress, you did the thing, homegrown. And now you coming back home to right off in the sunset at a time where L.A. really needs mm-hmm. it. Right. But if you look at her policy. It's honestly, it's pretty much, they pretty much got the same mm-hmm. policy. If you're being objective, she, again, nice mm-hmm. black face, black woman, checks mm-hmm. the boxes. I'm sure it would go on Bill Maher's list of things Biden did for minorities, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But when it comes to policy, she wants to add more police. Not as much as him, but she wants to add more police. When it comes to homelessness, she's still talking about uh, temporary shelters instead of permanent housing. Uh, the one thing that she keeps on touting is different from him is that oh my policy has a uh my agenda has a climate action plan and his mm-hmm. doesn't which is great but when you're talking about voters who like the first thing on their mind is mm-hmm. crime and the first thing that's on their mind is homelessness not really think about climate even though it affects their everyday lives and whether they can breathe or not but that's not going to energize the base the way that it needs to to be able to go up against someone who's doubling down on the right wing talking points yeah i i you know i'm i would love to talk to someone in more depth about that race it kind of you know it kind of snuck up on me obviously we have time to talk going into the talk to britney i'm sorry to who britney yeah from uh uh, abbott elementary remember i was telling you about oh yeah 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 i did dm her and i think now that you mention it i hit you and you didn't hit her back well i hit her first and then i forgot uh, I do that sometimes. I apologize. What's her attitude? What's her handle again? Like bitch, hilarious. Like B I S H. Oh, there I see her. Okay, let me let me right now. Let me just follow up right now. <laughs> yeah, talk to her. She'll be able to tell you about that. We got some things we working on with uh, Gascon because uh, he's the DA out here, and they just took care of Chaser. Mm-hmm up north so now they're trying to you know the alex being a waiver he's a sheriff out here he's trying to you know put more pressure on blaming the da for stuff even though and it's crazy how this narratives kind of go like like the da what happened whatever the da does happens after a harm or a quote-unquote yeah i was trying to explain this to these people on rising the other day it's like (laughs) like People don't really think about how the criminal justice system works. And I, I didn't really either until I, I became a lawyer. Like, crimes happen. And it is not like there's some divine right of God that comes down, finds all the criminals, scoops them up, pairs them perfectly with charges that fit the crime, and, like, processes them through. 
There's literally mm-hmm. someone who just randomly decides <laughs> willy-nilly through their own individual discretion where, what they're going to charge and what they're not going to charge. <laughs> like, right. like the idea of like prosecutorial, prosecutorial discretion is just like not really in the mind's eye, in the public's mind's eye, I don't think. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't get it. They don't get out of work. They don't even realize that. Uh, even like just out here in LA, and it's pretty much across the board. The clearance rates for these cases, the cops. They don't. They like when if it's a property crime or something like that. It's like nine percent of the time they arrest somebody. Mm-hmm. So like the other ninety percent of the time, if something happens, you ain't getting it back, and they're not catching whoever did it. When it's homicide, it's a little bit higher than that, but it's it's like F's across the board. But somehow, oh, it's the DA. Right. Well, that kind of goes to what you're saying. We're like, oh yeah, people like really like don't care about kids. They're just like they would just want that that bare living. They don't care about public safety. They just want to correct somebody. They just want to put them somewhere like away from eyes. Correct. View, and then they feel like everything's Chester, better. Chester did know? not create more crime or more crime. Also, no one's having conversations about like the really sh- piss poor deterrent value of most criminal punishment. <laughs> like, like, because I can, I can see the obviously the the person who starts to charge for a crime that's like after the crime has already happened it has nothing to do with the crime. Right. But I can see an argument. Okay, well, if people know they're going to be charged for with crimes and punished, and they're less likely to do crimes. First of all, no criminal is like, oh, we just got a progressive prosecutor, so let me go do a crime. <laughs> like, what, what, what facile juvenile? Like t- two-year-old yeah, understanding of human nature, do you have that? That's what you think is going down in the streets, and then f- subsequently, this idea that like even if even if like that, like there are studies and studies and studies about the deterrent value of certain kinds of like criminal standards and what you know the the turnstile guy like I don't know I I don't know I just I can't I can't I can't I can't Chase Chase, Chase literally had to go get a U-Haul to go get somebody's stuff that got stolen. Because the cops out there wouldn't yeah. do it. Like, they literally are going on strike. And then people are just like, well, you know, well, they're not going to prosecute them anyway. What does that have to do with them doing their job? So you're literally okay with the cops just saying, we're not going to do our job because we feel right. bad. Because we don't feel appreciated. Right. And those are the people that you want to support and back the blue. All the... It's nasty. Yeah, and they're doing it. I saw they're coming after um, Kramer. Uh uh, from Philadelphia. Oh, the Philadelphia. Um, uh, what's his first name? Um, uh, what, what is this? What is this? Krasner. Sorry, um, Larry Krasner. Larry Krasner. They're just going to do this all across the country now because people are too so fucking stupid. Sorry, I shouldn't say that because the Democratic Party uh, doesn't defend uh, these people. Like they want to, they want to like kowtow over defund the police, and they don't want to be associated with any of this. So they're going to let. Gwyneth Paltrow and a bunch of billionaires. <laughs> Kim Kardashian and the, and the wait, Kim Kardashian is part of this. Wait, you cut out for me, Sylvester. Can other people hear Sylvester? Sylvester, I don't know what happened. I like I see you in the chat, but I'm not hearing you. Is it just me? Like I see you in the speaker box. Cut the Pentagon says no, but I'm not sure what that no is referring to. Okay, well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and move on, but I'm 
I thought that I thought that uh, Kim Kardashian was going to be our criminal justice queen, getting all these black people out of jail. But apparently, you're telling me she's coming for these progressive prosecutors. I don't want to hear. It. I'll Google it after the show. But thanks as always, Sylvester. It's a joy talking to you, Eric. You might be the last caller because I was trying to keep it at two hours, and we've gone over. What's on your mind this evening? Yeah, um, Ro Connor is like one of the worst people to interview ever. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. Like, you can do what you want, but like, I wouldn't suggest interviewing him again. Okay. It. It's it's just it's just pointless at this point because he already he already showed his behind anyway, um, given his own interests and whatnot, and just and and um, what else was I gonna say? Oh yeah, um, def definitely talk to Matthew Ho at some point. Okay. I know how we had him on too, and <laughs> and you know, I, I guess I guess really I'm just um, what was I going to say now? Oh, um. This, this whole thing with Nomiki Kans, from what I understand, is actually just ridiculous. Um, even the majority port, report was having an issue with her running, apparently. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that uh, Emma basically kind of retracted her endorsement. <sighs> this just keeps getting funnier and funnier. And... And, and ultimately, I mean, dividing dividing the left. I mean, what do we what do we really mean by dividing the left, though? I mean, that's that's a good question. I think most people were just pointing out the hypocrisy of some of the majority report report crew making a lot about force a vote and how that was so divisive and how we have to unite behind candidates and we have to unite behind principles and ideas. And they're very frustrated with what they describe as the Jimmy Dore left for being critical of some left candidates who have sold us out or thrown us under the bus or who are perceived as frauds now. And there is a strong argument that someone like Nomiki Kant entering a race where there was already a united consensus behind a left candidate is much more divisive, in fact, than any of the kind of rhetorical division that the majority report crew has pointed to in the past. In all fairness, it does seem like the majority report crew isn't necessarily even behind Omiki Konst. So I don't know how fair it is to attribute hypocrisy to them now that they've realized there's a DSA candidate in the race. But Omiki herself, obviously, I think, invites that criticism. <sighs> that. And this is why I like the distinction of having an anti-capitalist left and dissing, dissing ourselves from the bullshit from liberals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... And yeah, this... Eventually, eventually it feels like a 
it feels like other party pushes are inevitable. Just, just given all the disagreement. I mean, I, I think I've said this before too, but the majority of the Greens are all are all eco socialists, are all completely anti capitalist. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I mean, there's still PSL. There's still there's still that option. Um, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. I would suggest you not entertain Roe anymore. Well, I, I hear your opinion, and I respectfully disagree. Um, but why? Because I obviously why? feel like I need interviews for different reasons than you. I'm not looking for someone to validate my worldview or agree not, with me. I think about, it's though. an elected official, a Congress member who's willing to go on the record and answer questions that literally nobody else is going to ask them. And I think there's value in that. And I learned a lot about his answers and we are more able to hold him accountable because of the things that he has said on the record, not just in this interview, but the last several interviews we had on this show, which I think have been really illuminating. And your ability to be critical of him is in part because of things you found out because I interviewed him. And so respectfully, I disagree and I will be continuing to interview Ro Khanna, but I completely respect if you want to sit those interviews out. Luckily, I put out two interviews a week, which is twice as many as pretty much any other podcast in the game. And so there's a lot of content out there to hear from, to choose from. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like I said, you're going to do whatever you want to do anyway. Everybody, everybody's grown. It, I, I guess... I guess the the way I saw it, the way I see it, is just like at some point you just gotta cut people off. But hey, you do what you want to do. All right. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Eric. Thank All right. you. All right. No problem. All right. Let's do one more, Anthony. I know you've been in this queue for a while. Uh, what's on your mind this evening? Oh my God. Hey, what's up? Everyone, things on my mind. Everybody from Canada, AOC to uh, Biden to who else? We got Michaela Wilkes. <laughs> we got so many characters in this um uh, potpourri i don't know fruit salad um last time he was on your program uh it was a lot in large part about ukraine and the max blumenthal uh gotcha Mm -hmm. thing right and i recall he said and i think you even put it in like the little short clip at the beginning he said like they're the Nazis, let's be honest, are he, he said they're a small part or a small component of their national guard, or like he he couched it really, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, but he but he did say that they were institutional in Ukraine, and the very next day he was on uh, another program that he goes on weekly, Tom Hartman, and he contradicted himself. Uh, the very next day or two later, he said, "No, they're not in the military. That's not even a thing. Every country has its." right wingers you know he said that kind of he said it's messy we just gotta help them with weapons mm. so uh they're, these guys are very slippery that's how i feel about rogue mm. kind he's he's very slippery uh and then what we have uh i mean in terms of the squad it just comes like you said it earlier phoniness tonight you got aoc she can't say whether she'll endorse biden and i, I mean unless your answer to me is no, he's you know a dementia stricken war criminal then i don't i can't even talk with you like that's just the reality I, if you don't think he has if you think joe biden's making decisions and running the country i don't think we're having the same conversation but 
of course, AOC, she's she's a Democrat. And when you say, you know, Ro Khanna running cover for the Democratic Party, he is the Democratic Party. He's just the soft side of it. Yeah, what's so interesting is that with the AOC thing, it's like it's not, she she's on the record as having said a bunch of stuff. So even if she, you know, she's getting pressure from the party at this point to change her tune, there's a certain protection. Like you can couch your answers in what you've already said so no one can really get that mad at you, right? Like, so like, you know – there's there's a world where she'd have said, you know, I've said before, everyone knows that I identify as a progressive. And I've said before that in an ideal world, in a country, you know, if we had a country that had the kind of political representation that other countries, other democracies have, it's unlikely that Joe Biden and I would be in the same party. And there are several things I wish he would be doing differently and I'm continuing to push him on. And then enumerate a bunch of policies. I wish you would cancel student debt. I wish you would. Da, 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 da. However, you know, I am focused on midterms and, you know, absent anyone else challenging Joe Biden, you know, I'm, there's no reason for me to say that I, you know, I wouldn't endorse Joe Biden, but we'll see what happens in 2024. You know, there, there's, there's well, a, re- like, there's a world, obviously like that's not the ideal answer, but there's a world where she could have said something like that. And it's just confusing to me why there is even the need to say, I think Biden's doing a good job, that kind of unqualified support. Well, you know, I'll just say for she has to say that because she's a politician and ultimately she's just trying to uphold the legitimacy of the state itself, the United States government in its present current form, which I think most of us agree is, you know, an abomination. I mean, we can just cut a lot of the BS out with these politicians from our, my perspective, I would say I don't agree with this system, this uh, government as it's constituted and many of our historical institutions or whatever. So we can get down to the root and really, I mean, they're just they're they're in the weeds. They just want to these people are beating around the bushes. Uh, they're the reformists that they supposedly campaign against. It's it's pretty it's pretty transparent with the squad and the Kana and the Jayapal. You know, it's funny. Last year, Jayapal put out a tweet. She said, oh, Raytheon, they did a Gay Pride Month marketing campaign. They changed their logo, Raytheon. Mm-hmm. Well, they are tax dodgers or something. I'm like, oh, I think you missed uh, something important about Raytheon in your, <laughs> in your suite. But it, the whole thing is it's so goofy. I mean, well, yeah, there's this... I even want to be... yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to be in that conversation with them where, yeah, of course I'm for gay rights and all that, but I don't want to be in that conversation with them where they're able to have their comfortable position, which, you know, it's, it's so basic. Like it's, it's a real basic. Yeah. Of course we agree on gay rights. Let's move on to the next, like, unless, you know, we're hammering out an issue, but I'm not saying that no culture. I'm the culture is very serious. We need to look at this culturally. I think that's where the mass shooter thing comes down personally but that's a whole nother topic yeah I, I there was this moment where you know i maybe it was when Roe was talking about i don't remember if it was when we were talking about his um plan to bring down gas prices or whether it was about the abby martin stuff but at some point i maybe it was both actually i was like well what's the obstacle to this in congress and it came out whatever his answer was, it was clear that like there wasn't democratic support, much less Republican support. And it's like, you know, like, why won't you ever talk about that piece of it? Like, what are the, you know, who, who is, who is opposed to this? 
I think was my question. And to me, there's like two sets of answers. It's, it's, you know, your elected officials that you can't whip votes for. And then also the reason why that you can't whip, whip the votes is because of the special interests that have bought them off. And we like kind of tiptoed up to that conversation, but you know, there's this real unwillingness to say, I have coworkers that are bought and paid for. And it was the same with the interview with Ash, Ash Kalra about the Medicare for all for California. It's like, you are supposed to be an actual progressive. You've been championing this policy this entire time. You have a democratic Congress. And it's obviously Democrats that are holding it up in California, but there's this unwillingness to say, to name names because Ash Kalra's argument was, we're so close with getting the right number of votes and next time around, I think it'll work out as long as you don't embarrass anybody. Basically it's like, no, it won't work out next time exactly because you won't embarrass anybody. And it's so, it's, it's crazy to me. Like I have never liked a coworker that much. (laughs) I kid, I kid, I kid. But like the fact that they protect each other like that, it's, it's nuts. So to me. Yeah, well, I mean, we get we're we're evolved beings. We don't see ourselves as party players, and I don't know if it's generational or what. But then, you know, you're talking about the oil. Is is that the uh, open swaps versus the uh, the market putting it out? Is that you were talking about? The crude for refining. Well, his or, his multi prong plan was one to stop exports. Uh, two to yeah, swap uh, the oil we can't refine for oil that has been refined in other countries where they can. Um, and three, buy oil from overseas at a dip and use it to basically smooth out the price so we don't have these peaks and valleys. I got you. Well, that that makes me think of, you know, the Green New Deal quote. I always hear so much about the Green New Deal, but I don't think this Green New Deal that is in circulation right now is your father's Green New Deal. When I hear that, I think of Jill Stein and Howie Hawkins back in the day, even the hapless Howie. But... I mean, the number one contrast is there's no – where's the demilitarization in AOC's Green New Deal? I don't know. I haven't seen yeah. it. It's not at the forefront. And then, uh, you know, just if you want to jump off oil right away, I mean, that seems like a, if you think high gas prices are hitting people hard, how, how would jumping off oil in an instant hit poor people? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's part of why – what's so funny to me is, like, there are some un- – there is a, it is an uncomfortable space to be in as a leftist. And also as a populist in this moment to kind of like, there's like this way that we're all acknowledging that, you know, the Green New Deal isn't happening tomorrow. And in the interim, it's, a, you know, a populist desire to bring down oil prices without doing this kind of like virtue signaling. Oh, we should just shut down all the gas pumps tomorrow. Like we all understand like this, this moment is forcing some lefty lingo that is sometimes kind of aspirational and abstract to reckon with the fact that we're dealing with oil and we have to have oil policy, even though we don't want to be using oil at all, obviously. And I think there's something that's a real growth opportunity for the left in this moment. But also when I keep bringing up nationalization, it's high key for that reason. It's because like, we're going to have to do oil, but I don't want us to be in a place where we're advancing policies that might bring down the prices for people, but also our, creating windfalls for the industry, the private industry. And that does really kind of, I'm sorry, I know this seems like harebrained, but it does kind of feel like the moment where obviously we should be nationalizing the oil industry because how else are you going to do this just transition with, again, not just creating a windfall for these these oil CEOs. And it's just it's just weird to me that that's not, 
I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it makes, I feel a little gaslit, LOL pun. Um, oh, that'll be a good episode title. Gaslit. All right, make a note. All right. <laughs> but I'm feeling a little gaslit about, <laughs> sorry. No gaslighting here. So this is a no- no lie. That would have been a good episode for, title for this one with, with Rokana. But, um, yeah, I feel a little gaslit about it because it does feel like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much it would cost to buy out oil, but when we had this moment during COVID with the airlines where we bailed them out more money than the airline industry is worth, I was like, come on, like, this is so dumb. We wouldn't have to be having these conversations about masking and all these pilots that are canceling flights because they're all getting COVID now. Like, none of this would be an issue. The Supreme Court status on masking and all of this, none of this would be an issue if they just, like, actually got like bought what they had paid for instead of just throwing money at this thing for no reason. You know, as I, as I, as I pay for my seat with no bag, (laughs) you know, with my knees tucked up to my chin and all this crap that we put up with now, like we literally bought the airlines already and just didn't take, like, we just didn't take it. We just, you know, walking into a store and like putting down $50 for a, jacket and then deciding just not to take it for shits and giggles it's just like a donation like what are we running here <laughs> sorry oh i see that i'm talking to myself because home slice got kicked off again i'm not sure what happened what's happening here i'm obviously rambling i need to just watch a little one six content and take my butt to bed maybe do a face mask because i ate a lot of gluten and dairy this weekend and it's not been good but for my visage <laughs> But I appreciate all of you. Thank you for dealing with my um, therapeutic rants. And we will be back on Thursday. I know that we haven't done any panels for a while, but I'm conducting an interview tomorrow that I think is going to be the kind of episode that I really personally enjoy where we're digging into, like we're just doing, I don't know, like really thinking about things and trying to figure things out that I don't already know the answer to. Some of you might have seen the brouhaha over Sam Adler Bell's article in, um, New York magazine uh, talking about wokeness, kind of giving it a definition that I think meets how it's currently defined in this moment, even though that's not how it's been historically defined and talking about this tension between saying things that are popular and not alienating and also not feeling like you're not throwing people under the bus. And I think people had a lot of criticisms of it, some of which were not entirely in good faith. Um, And I have a panel of people who are on opposite sides of that issue. And I think it's going to be a good one for Thursday. So uh, I will see you then. And in the interim, let us try to keep the faith with a little George Michael. If this works, why isn't this working? Oh,
Cause I gotta have faith. Ooh.